And welcome back to some sort of the Clear Jets podcast where it was Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Well, Michael, we've had a week to let things settle after Sunday's extremely disappointing loss to the New England Patriots. And we'll take some time in this podcast to look back on that game and talk about what, what we've seen after looking at the film. But this podcast is looking ahead, looking towards arguably the best team in the NFL and the Buffalo Bills. And while most Jets fans are rightfully penciling this in as a likely loss, we can't lose sight of the fact that this is still a five and three team who's currently the fifth seed in the AFC with one of the best defenses in the entire NFL and has shown that that they have the ability to put it together. And, and if they can put it together, they can compete with anybody. And that all starts on the offensive side of the football and it all starts at quarterback. So a lot to talk about today, Michael, uh, this is a great litmus test for this team. And I know we want to go back and talk about the Pats game, but just when you look at this, this upcoming game on Sunday as a whole, I mean, how do you feel about it? Are you is some of the pressure off of it because we're not expecting a win or is there a, you know a lot of pressure on it because you kind of you don't want to lose the lead that they've built up? I mean, just how are you feeling heading into to Sunday's game? Oh, I think it's a really great opportunity for this team after the Patriots game last week. And you know, to be completely real, it's definitely not a game that you expect to win or they have a great chance of winning because this is the best team in the in the NFL. I think that's pretty clear when you just look at how well they played on both sides of the ball and in both phases on both sides of the ball and just the talent that they have and the way they've built it up over the past few years. Uh, the Bills are a fantastic team, so it's going to be a very tough game. But, you know, when you have a loss like the one that the Jets had last week at home against the Patriots, a game that, you know, you expect to win, although they were underdogs, but I think we all expected them to win that one. Um, you know, it was a disappointing loss, so you can't ask for a better way to wash that bad taste out of your mouth than to be the best team in the NFL the following week. So uh, it's definitely not the easy sort of bounce back game you would like. This isn't, you know, a game where you come out of it. It's like, all right, we should have a good chance to bounce back because you don't have a good chance. It's going to be tough. But if you can pull it off, there's no better way to wipe that away and go into the bye week. So so it's a really good opportunity. And I wouldn't say it's a must win game. And I think starting the season five and two, puts you in that position where you don't have to play those kind of games for a while because, you know, five and four going into the bye is not a bad spot. It would, wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't feel great after starting five and two to lose two straight at home in your division. But at the same time, it's also not the end of your season. So uh, not a must win, but it is a fantastic opportunity for sure. All right. Well, I, I do want to talk a little bit about it, um, but I know we want to talk about the Pats game, but just to, just to continue a little bit more on the Bills game, and then we'll look back. I think it's it, we'll learn so much about about this Jets team on Sunday. Uh, and like, yeah, I mean, they, they could end up losing this and kind of limp into the bye. And you look, every Jets fan would be lying if they said they wouldn't have been thrilled to hear the team would be five and four at the bye. Um, but you'd like to see them play well on Sunday, win or lose. It's just don't have that blowout because everybody's around the league may, may be expecting it when you look at this bill's roster and what they've done to every team around the league. Um, but outside of maybe that little dolphins game there, but I mean, this bill's team is legit. They're super bowl contenders. They're probably super bowl favorites at this point. And if the jets can go in there and compete and not get blown out on their own field with all these bills fans coming down to, to MetLife and taking over the stadium, that would do a lot. I mean, certainly the, you want to win. You don't want to go in with like a losing mindset, but for me, to enjoy the game on Sunday, I'm just like, can we just have a competitive game where Zach plays all right? And if they do that, I I, I won't be too disappointed on, on our next podcast. But uh, if they win, I mean, 
Batman voice will be coming out for that next pod because I'll be screaming the entire game. Um, and then if they get blown out, you're just kind of sitting at a, uh, you know, at a crossroads at your bye where it's like, you know, you you rode two of your best players in Elijah Vera Tucker and Brees Hall to this, you know, amazing five and two start. They get hurt. And now you're reeling back to back division losses. You got to change up your identity. You know, what will the second half of this season uh, hold? And, you know, so no matter what happens on Sunday, I shouldn't say no matter what happens, but for most, uh, you know, cases on what will happen on Sunday, you'll be sitting there uh, and this Jets team will still be alive. They'll still be playing, playing meaningful games. Um, and so you have to be happy about that. But man, if they could go in there and put together a good showing, let alone win, what that would mean for what this team could go on to do in not just November and December, but hell, January football. If if they can hang with the Bills, they can hang with anybody in the NFL. So what a test this is for this team. And I'm I'm very excited for this game. I think the first few days after that Pats game, Michael, I won't lie to you, I was pretty down. I was just just so gutted that they lost that game and I had to to witness another uh another Jets game where, where Pats fans are, you know, screaming and chanting as as we're walking out of the stadium. But, but man, I mean, this Bills game would certainly make up for it in a lot more. Um, all right, we're going to come back to the Bills game. Certainly a lot to preview there and what the Jets have to change from Sunday if they want to win this one uh, and how the game plan will look a lot different. But when you look at this Pats game, Michael, I mean, the storyline, Zach Wilson, there's, there's some other stuff from this game that we want to talk about, but Zach Wilson's really the, the main story. And I think uh, I've, I've could sense it from some of your tweets and us talking before this podcast, you've been pretty pretty down on Zach this week. And and anybody who listens to this podcast knows that we're definitely on the optimistic side of things. At times we can be maybe be too optimistic. Uh, we've been pretty soft on Zach. Uh, maybe I shouldn't speak for both of us. I've been pretty soft on Zach. I think on Monday we were both pretty critical. Uh, you know, I, I went and rewatched it and it wasn't like, you know, it still wasn't good, but I still think you saw a lot of, a lot of good in that tape and stuff that you can be encouraged by, but too many rookie mistakes from a guy in a second season. So Michael, you've had a chance to watch the film. What'd you get from Zach Wilson's performance? Yeah, I, I think I was, upon rewatching it, I, I was definitely a lot more critical than you were. Um, I mean, you and I were watching it together before this and got a little heated at times. I mean, we both <laughs> we, lighter head, cooler heads prevailed. And I think we kind of found a good groove where we were just kind of watching it in a more, um, a more a friendly manner just kind of watching it trying to digest it but to start off like I was kind of getting a little defensive for my viewpoints um because I don't know I was I think I was a lot more critical of this game upon reviewing it uh than most people were and and look before I get into it let me just be clear I'm not writing off his career I want to see him start the rest of the season I never want to see Mike White I never want to see Flacco I want to see don't say play. uh I'd never want to see lose him. Three- why, can't, why can't I say never <laughs> If they lose three games in a like let's say they lose the Bears game too and the Pats game after the bye, and like what are they five and six at that point? And it's because of Zach turning the ball, you're not gonna be like all right, put Mike White in. That's true. I guess I'm not at that point yet, but there I I guess there is a point where yeah, he can stoop low enough to where we do ask for it. But I'm I don't think I'm there yet. Yeah, so again, you let, me, be. <laughs> let me let me be clear. I do want to see him continue playing. I do still acknowledge there is a chance he could be the guy that he could be successful all of that not writing him off but at the same time I think I'm a lot more critical of this performance than I think a lot of fans are because look the basis uh, basis of this game is the interceptions obviously we all know how bad those were the timing of them were bad um the way that it eventually affected the scoreboard was bad considering how close the game was um and then just the fashion of the interceptions themselves 
themselves was all terrible. You know, the first one under pressure, just flicking it off balance over the middle. Then the next two, just trying to do too much, not throwing the ball away. Uh, just those were really bad, those last two especially. Uh, so we all know that. But I think in addition to that, and, and look, again, granted, lots of good plays on this film, for sure. I acknowledge that. But there were also a lot of plays that he left out there. I really think that the way the Jets' skill position players were playing, running the routes, getting open, and the way LaFleur was scheming it up against Belichick, I think the pieces were there for the Jets to really explode in this game. And there were opportunities missed, um, you know, from the first or the first drive when they got down there after the Garrett Wilson bomb. There was a play where Uzama was open in the flat for a potential touchdown where he passed on that and then he backpedaled out of the pocket. There's a play later where Uzama was, was open up the seam for a potential touchdown. Um, and, and there were just a lot of these plays throughout the game where, um, you know, occasionally he'd make a good play and it would get them going, but then the drive would stall because he misses an open receiver. And there were a lot of common themes why he was missing these plays. It was, you know, if the first read's not open, he'll bail the pocket. Or if there's a little bit of pressure coming and he has room to step up, instead he'll go backwards and he'll go out of the pocket. So just the pocket presence in this game was really concerning. And I think it left a lot of plays on the field. I think there were there were a lot of plays to be made that weren't. And again, he made some good throws in this game. I think purely looking at his accuracy, it was good in this game. There weren't really many misfires. Um, but looking when you go back and watch the film and see how many plays were open, there really should have been a lot more productivity from the passing game in this one. And most of those plays were missed just because some of those issues with dealing with pressure, just leaving the pocket too early. Um, first reads not open, bailing, just uh, his footwork under pressure, all these things. I really think that there were a lot of plays to be made. Uh, you look at that, also that fourth down play, the fourth and five play, where there's a wide open scrambling, scrambling lane that he doesn't take. And instead he tries a difficult deep throw to Conklin. Um, and I also think second down was an issue in this game. There were quite a few second down plays in this game where he had a good short, you know, five yard throw or something where he could get it to third and five, you know, making a manageable third down, but multiple times, whether it was, um, there was a play where Barrios was open on a slant. There was Conklin open on a sit. There was James Robinson open on a stop route on the outside. That's just three off the top of my head where it was second and 10 or 11, and he doesn't hit that quick throw. And instead he's bailing the pocket, trying to make something happen. Eventually throws it out of bounds. And, you know, now the Jets are facing third and long. And then eventually they punt or kick a field goal, or uh, which was missed, actually, the Zerline one, um, or turn it over. So I, I do think this was a pretty bad game, even uh, in, well, including the interceptions, obviously it was bad, but outside of those, I would say it was a below average game, but then you throw those in. And I think overall it was a, you know, it was a bad game, pretty bad. Well, so. you think, you think without, if you remove the three interceptions, you'd, you'd refer to this as a below average game from them. Yeah. I, th I think that's what I'd say. Not, just, not bad outside the interceptions, but below, below average. below average, below average for him or for like, you know, Josh out, like, you know, like below average for NFL uh, quarterbacks. Versus, yeah. Like, for NFL quarterback. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't want to come off like a, like a Zach Homer. Cause I think we set this up as, you know, you're going to come in with the super negative Zach take, and then I'm going to come in with the glass half full and like, look, there's no sugarcoating it. It was not a great Zach Wilson performance. I think the mistakes overshadowed a lot of the good things that he did in this game. And 
look, you don't want to baby him, especially given the fact that this Jets team does look ready to to compete. And I think that's, you know, a, a great thing for Zach. You know, when, when they drafted him, Robert's always like, you know, this team is going to lift you, not the other way around. The Jets are certainly doing their part as of as of recent to do that. Um, I guess the problem with it from from Zach's perspective is that it puts more pressure on him and he's not necessarily graded on a curve. I guess when the team is bad and all you're looking for is, is quarterback performance, maybe that's when he's graded on a curve. You're maybe a little easier on him and his development. It's like, all right, well, we suck anyways. What is he supposed to do here? Like you you go a little softer in the quarterback, but when you look like you're a team ready to co- compete, you're five and two, you're at home playing your your biggest rival of the, you know, at least of the 21st century and the Patriots and and then your quarterback throws three stupid, careless interceptions and you cost the game. It's hard not to be hypercritical of him. And he deserves a lot of the criticism, but, but a lot of the rhetoric around Zach of like, you know, they have to move on from him immediately or that, that he's already a bust or, you know, a lot of the really, really negative anti Zach takes, I do think are, are a bit of an overreaction because there are plenty of plays in this game that you can watch and you can see the promise and, and what you drafted him for. The things that are really concerning with Zach is what he's doing from the pocket when what he thought was going to be there isn't there. And then there's pressure coming when he gets the line and he, you know, he, you know, he looks at the defense pre-snap, you know, he he knows the coverages and he feels like, okay, you know, uh, Tyler Conklin's going to be open on this outright snaps the ball. He likes the leverage fires. Tyler Conklin's there. It looks beautiful. But when he goes and he thinks he sees cover one or whatever. He's like, I'm going to Tyler Conklin. And now all of a sudden it's a, it's a blitz or it's cover three or it's uh, they're playing quarters coverage or they disguise something. And then he's like, wait, shit, I have to get off that. Last year, he may have tried to get to the second read and then he gets drilled. Um, this year, he's doing a little bit. I mean, he did it last year too, but this year he's doing it a lot more. You see, if that first read's out there, he bails. He bails in the pocket, which, okay, if you're going to play like, Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson, or you're going to be a running mobile quarterback and that's going to be a threat. You can win with that style of play. It's it's more conducive to winning if you're able to play from the pocket. But okay, if you're going to be a one read and run quarterback, you can win like that, but you have to be willing to run. And Zach is one read and then scramble. And he looks like me playing Madden. Let's just be honest. He's running like 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage and, and running around. He doesn't want to throw it away because that's quote unquote too boring. And then, you know what? Let's just launch it into double coverage here. And like you said, like there were plenty of good things. I don't think his accuracy was too bad in this game. He missed a few throws. Like, you know, the, the we went back and rewatched it. And that was one that I think you actually can be really critical on him that I didn't even notice when I first rewatched was the first third down where he throws to Mims. Uh, and Mims catches it, but he's out of bounds. Like Mims has a step on his guy, single coverage. Right. If Zach leads in there, that's a touchdown on the first drive of the game, a big touchdown. That deep accuracy from Zach has not really been there uh, in the NFL so far. Um, so on top of his inability to, to really manage any sort of pressure or second and third reads from the pocket. Uh, yeah. The deep accuracy hasn't been great. And he gets, he gets lazy. Like, let's just be honest. The three interceptions were lazy interceptions. And, and there's part of me that, uh, what do you think? Do you think it's better to have lazy interceptions or interceptions that when you're like firing it into double coverage? Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean by that? Where it's like, well, I, we talked about it beforehand, but just right. to for the listeners, like, you know, you look at his three interceptions, it's like, all right, he has Ty Johnson open over the middle on the first one. That's the right read. He's under pressure and he just kind of lazy with his mechanics, just kind of lofts it in there and throws it right over his head. Or the second one, he's trying to throw it away. And instead of, you know, launching it to the, to the uh, hot dog guy in the stands, he, 
puts it way too close to the sideline, just lazy and it gets picked off. And the third one, it's like, he doesn't want to throw it away because the game feels like it's slipping out of reach. And so he kind of just throws it up there intercepted, but it was different than him. You know, like, Oh, I got Elijah Moore in this post round. I'm going to fire it in there and it's picked off. So what do you think? What do you think is better? I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to either. Yeah. I, I mean, this question came up because you and I were watching Josh Allen's game against the Patriots from his second year when he threw, uh, I think he also had three interceptions. Yeah. Um, and he had a couple like that. Like there was one where you know, it was a deep route, some kind of deep route, forget exactly what it was, but it kind of was there, but then the safety was over the top and it basically was into double, uh, double coverage and it gets picked off. So we have, I think that's the type of interception Darnold threw a lot more often than Zach Wilson does, where he's just yeah. not seeing the coverage and you know the linebacker undercuts it or the safety is on top and he takes it. So stuff like that versus Zach Wilson, where it's like, it's not really a field vision issue. It's just being really lazy and just frankly, really dumb versus like <laughs> Sam Darnold. It's like, he's just actually not seeing it. Like he does, he literally doesn't know the defender is there. Like the one that uh, in 2020 that Darnold threw against the Seahawks where he just yeah. threw it right to Jamal Adams and he dropped it um, plays like that, where he just, he just doesn't see it. I think, I don't know. It's tough because both of them are bad. And if it were easy to fix, everyone would fix it. And, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick would be an amazing quarterback by the end of his career. But um, I feel like the field vision kind of ones might be harder because that, you know, that's um, the, the type of thing where as much as you study it, like maybe you just don't have the feel for processing the defense that quick versus, you know, the Zach interceptions, you hope it can get to the point where you could just shift your mentality to, okay, I'm out of bounds, throw the ball out, throw the ball out, just no questions asked. It feels like you can maybe develop that discipline, but at the same time, if it were that easy, then why is he still doing it at this point? And I know it's still fairly early in his career, but those interceptions almost feel like they're so brutal to the point where it shouldn't take that long to develop it. But I don't know, There's like you said, there's pros and cons to each. This one potentially feels a little more fixable but at the same time it's like if it is fixable it makes it that much more troubling that you're still doing it especially multiple times well, in the same game so i don't know there like you said there's yeah. pros and cons to each yeah like okay the second interception that he throws when he's clearly just trying to throw it out of bounds he almost got burned with that against pittsburgh when minka arguably came down with it in bounds but they called it out of bounds and he makes the same mistake, and now he does get burned with it with an interception. I doubt you'll see too many more of those throws from Zach Wilson. I'm pretty confident to say that that is something you can eliminate from his game. It's like, all right, in the future, I mean, not to say that he won't ever have another sideline throwaway that maybe gets intercepted, but I'm pretty confident you're not going to see that too often, where it's like, if he throws it away, he's going to throw it away. He's not going to do that anymore. Um, the first interception, I think you will see more of with Zach. Sometimes his mechanics get lazy. Um you know, uh, under pressure off his back foot. Okay. Whatever. The third one was, was troubling to me because it, it felt that interception felt mentally lazy. If that makes sense. It just kind of felt like, all right, this game's slipping away. Fuck it. I'm gonna just throw it up to Tyler Conklin where it's like, I get the idea of like, it's third down. I think they were down two scores at that point. He doesn't want to throw it out of bounds, but it's just like, if he had thrown out of bounds and they punted there, you don't, the, the, the way this jets defense is playing the Jets can get the ball back in like three minutes and have yeah, better no, field it's, position. It's almost like he went away from, and this is not to say he played well in the other two games because there were criticisms there too, but it's almost like he kind of went away from the mentality of those games and just yeah. felt like he kind of had to get involved a little bit more. I don't know if, if it's because 
they were at home and there was a lot of energy. No, it's or, because it's because, because they lost. You know, Brees the teammates Hall. went out. Yeah, I was just gonna say that because you know, Brees and AVT went out. It just felt like he, um, felt like it felt like he seemed like he had more responsibility on his shoulders. Yes. Like it appeared that he had this, you know, increased he was trying to be, be the hero. Yeah, he was trying to play hero, which moments. is. Which, you know, you don't want. You just want to play within the, the structure of the game and take what's given but, to you. But, Michael, so just so we're not hypocrites, let's go back to last week's preview podcast. And we did say, you know, look, we wanted to take some more chances. Right. We wanted to throw downfield. We wanted to play looser and fired in there. And if he throws an interception, but he's throwing touchdowns, you're okay with that because he's going to develop and get better. We saw that. We did. He came out firing. He had a great first half up until that Ty Johnson interception. To the last play of his first half, he was flawless, in my opinion. I mean, I guess he had, you know, that Mims miss or whatever. I wouldn't but say like, flawless. I'd most, say he was solid. Yeah, flaw, flawless is a, is hyperbolic, but flawless from what we were expecting. Like, perfect is, is, I guess, what I mean. And perfect meaning how what we've seen from Zach Wilson versus what we wanted to see from him on Sunday. At, at two minutes in that first half, you were very happy with what you saw from Zach. You saw a confident Zach Wilson who wasn't playing timid, who was firing that ball in there. He was slinging it downfield. He looked like he was feeling himself. You're thinking this is going to be a great day. He throws that interception, that switch goes off, and he couldn't recover. It was like it, the, the momentum started to snowball. And once he threw that first interception, he just seemed like he was overthinking things. Because I agree with you. It's I don't think he – Darnold, you really worried about him seeing the field. It, it just seemed like he had blind spot, spots when he was playing. Zach, I mean, that's not to say that Zach doesn't have – uh, interceptions where he doesn't see a defender he won't have uh plays where he can't you know uh where he doesn't read the coverage correctly or he makes a mental mistake but a lot of what what this game is is him not trusting his eyes if you go, go back and watch the coach's film it'll be like okay barris is open over the middle he looks at him he doesn't he he hesitates he thinks about it for a second and then the pressure gets there and he runs out barris isn't open anymore and now he's dancing along the sideline and throw it away interception or sack i mean that's what you're seeing too much from zach is he's overthinking things um when things are moving quickly when he's getting the ball out of his hands when he doesn't have to think he plays well but when that first read is covered and he, and the pressure's coming in and he has to you know he doesn't want to stay in the pocket that was one of the things you know and we talked about this when the Jets played the Bengals that that Joe Burrow does so well because look the Bengals don't have a good offensive line but Joe Burrow has still been a great quarterback and why is that it, he tr he's so good at the nuances of moving within the pocket. And Brady's another example of this. And this is the, the part of the game that Zach doesn't have down. Go watch a Joe Burrow game. When his tackles get beat and his first read isn't there and he has to, to move on to his second and third option, sometimes he'll escape. But a lot of what he does is he'll step up and he almost just kind of hides in that little bubble. You know, he, like it's almost like the five offensive linemen have kind of surrounded him in a little, little shield. Whereas like, uh, you know, Zach, it's like, okay, maybe Dwayne Brown gets beat from the edge and he's just running out. He's just escaping right. the pocket. Yeah. It's like, okay, but if you just stepped up and you just kind of trusted your offensive lineman a little bit more, which look again, what are they on their, their backups of their backups at tackle now and, and a backup guard as well. Like I get, I understand it, but when Dwayne, when Dwayne Brown gets beat on the edge, if you step up, Dwayne Brown gets another chance to make that block. And you have four other offensive linemen who have a chance to get that right. block. And you can stay and hide behind your center for another second. And maybe a receiver gets open. Maybe you have more time to throw it away. Or, may, hey, maybe that rushing lane is, is even more open. And now you can really escape and you can just run for it. It's, it's when you bail too early, like he's bailing, he not only cuts the field in half, he cuts the amount of time his receivers have to get open in half. He, he makes everything harder on himself by not just – trusting the pocket and i get it like 
look, there, there, there are times when you have to bail immediately because otherwise you're just going to eat a sack. And his athleticism and his mobility, while he didn't play that well against Green Bay and Denver, kept him in those games. same with the Pittsburgh game. It kept him in those games because he wasn't taking an eight yard sack. And now the jets are at second 18 and the drive is essentially over. Like we saw the first three weeks with Flacco. Um, But until he, until he gets more comfortable from the pocket, you're not going to see too much success from Zach or yeah. yeah. Sorry. You you want to chime in there? No. Yeah. I was going to expand on what you just said, because I think that's a perfect point because you know, the jets offensive line is not perfect right now. No one's arguing that. And there's been a lot of injuries. The performance has not been great, but I think it's been good enough to where there are plays to be made if you can just handle the pressure a little bit better. But he just has this tendency to make the pressure destroy the play a lot more than it needs yes. to. Like yes. the way that you're, the way that you explained it is perfect. And this Patriots game really laid it out. It, it was the way the pressure was coming perfectly um, illustrated the struggles that he has with pressure because the interior protection was good. There was not a lot of interior pressure coming, but the edge pressure, there was a lot of that. Dwayne Brown was not good and a he was not good. So that pressure was coming off the edge, but there was consistently room for him to just step up and there you go. You're good. They're going to run that guy up the arc and you could continue scanning the field and staying in the pocket is the most dangerous place to be a quarterback because everything's available to you. As soon as you scramble, to one side of the field, that other side of the field is off the table. All of that is, you know, completely moot at that point. So staying in the pocket is when you're most dangerous. And too often he takes that off the table because he's overreacting to the edge pressure when there is room uh, to step up. So, um, and a lot of people know about his disparity between the clean pocket numbers and the pressure numbers at this point, and they are staggering. I mean, looking at it right now, when he's clean, nine and a half yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no picks. His passer rating is 109. And then when he's pressured, nine for 47, three yards per attempt, one touchdown, five picks. Passer rating is seven. Yes, 7.1. So it's a huge disparity, but it's not as simple as just protecting him better because the problem is that a lot of plays that actually are clean turn into a pressured play yes. because he's not getting it out quick enough. So it's not as black and white as, all right, you protect him better. He's going to be a superstar because sometimes he is protected and he turns it into an unprotected play or a pressured play because he's not getting the ball immediately. And it's really that first read that kind of dictates how play is going to go because when he had success in this game, it's usually because that first read was open. Like those, he had two great seam balls to Conklin and Uzama in the second half where, you know, takes a snap. That's his first read. Okay, the underneath defender, he came down. There's space over the top. I'm going to loft it over the linebacker, drop it in. Two great passes because it's there immediately, sees it, throws it, awesome stuff. But then when that pass isn't there, then he'll either lock onto that too long, then the pressure comes, then he bails, or he just immediately goes into bail mode. So it's getting past that first read. And the weirdest thing about it is I don't think he's a one read quarterback because there are plenty of instances where you can see he is capable of getting to two, getting to three, getting to four. Like just look at the Steelers tape in the fourth quarter. Some of the stuff he was doing with manipulating Minka Fitzpatrick with his eyes, getting him to drop down, then going to the other side of the field and hitting a pass behind him. He's capable of doing it. It's just right now he's so rattled, so afraid of getting hit that it's, 
that first throw is there, he can make it. But once it's not, it's all kind of collapsing, regardless of how good the the pressure or the protection is. I will say about the Minka play, because uh, you're talking about in the fourth quarter, uh, kind of, yeah, he, he manipulates Minka with his eyes. He kind of holds him, draws him into the box a little bit, and then he hits Garrett over the middle for a big gain. Yes, that does look like him getting to his second and third read. And, but that, that he, Zach knew he was doing that before the ball was snapped. And I think that is goes back to the, the issue with him is that when the play breaks down athletically and physically, you think he'd be great at it. But in the NFL up until this point, he hasn't as, as hasn't had as much success. And I think it's also important to go back and remember who he was when, when, the, when the Jets drafted him. Go back to BYU. Go watch the BYU tape. He's getting five seconds in the pocket every play. And that was a big legitimate criticism of him. You know, and we brought it up on this podcast and plenty of people brought it up was, okay, you know, people brought up, okay, level of competition, but you've seen from plenty of other NFL quarterbacks, that doesn't really matter. And there's plenty of NFL caliber throws you saw from Zach on his BYU tape. You had really no doubt that this guy is an NFL prospect. The problem was, okay, but that offensive line, and not to mention, you know, Michael, you've brought this up a few times to me, like, well, he's playing and there's no crowds. Like, is that throwing him off? And like, you know, maybe, you know, going from... Utah with empty stands during the COVID year to go into New York city with booing fans is, is a pretty look at those bars right there. Uh, you know, it's a pretty big jump for him, but the, the bigger issue is the fact that he has four five, six seconds in those BYU plays. And when he tries to do the same thing in the NFL, it's not happening. And, you know, I'll, but I'll give him, I don't want to, I'm not going to give him a pass and you don't want to give him unlimited amount of excuses and there is a sense of urgency because like we said on Monday, you never know when these windows open up. The Jets are certainly built to, to win long-term um, with the amount of young guys that they have, but you just never know. You never know. Like they're five and three right now going into this Bills game. Let's say they lose their five and four, whatever. Five and four at the bye, they're still set themselves right up to make a playoff run. And it, such a, it would be such a shame to have a quarterback cost him, you know, the type of seasons that Quinn, Quinn and Williams has had, or the type of seasons that Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed have had, and you know, all the different guys in this team that have really stepped up, Quan Alexander and and uh, CJ Mosley and Bryce Huff and Carla, you know, all these guys in this in this locker room that have played their asses off and and won games and have really done a great job of turning this culture around, and the Jets have set themselves up. I understand there's that urgency. And, and if, if it's the quarterback that's really holding him back, there's just a sense of just bench him, get Mike White out there and, and play Flacco. And, and I agree, like, look, four, five, six weeks from now, if, if Zach is really holding this team back, I won't necessarily be, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I'm not one of those guys who just because Zach was drafted number two, I think you have to play him the entire season. It's like, go look at Tua Tagovailoa. They benched him how many times early in his career for Ryan Fitzpatrick? And now he's, you know, year three is having a great year. I don't think that, you know, th- that's a bridge we can cross when we get there. But I do think that you have to go back and look at the situation that Zach is playing in, that he not only did they lose their best player on the team in AVT, their best offensive player in Brees Hall, his favorite receiver in Corey Davis, and then arguably their best receiver in Elijah Moore played 10 snaps. So the Jets have to find their new identity on offense. They can't win the way that they, they beat, or as it stands right now, it doesn't seem like they can win uh, in the ways that they beat Miami and the ways that they beat Green Bay and the ways that they beat Denver, they can still, you know, you're hoping that with Robinson, you know, another week in the system or whatever, and, and Carter gets going that, that they can get it going. And honestly, the loss of Brees Hall is, is big. Um, but I think that even if they just lost Brees Hall, I think the running game could probably pick up 
uh, where it left off and be okay. It's the loss of AVT on top of the loss that Brees Hall that really makes the Jets have to, you know, find their identity again. You know, what are they going to be? And, and yeah, I don't want to get into the Bills preview so far, um, but when you look at what the Packers did to the Bills last week, they ran the ball. They ran the ball well against Buffalo. And I think you're going to see a bit of a return to that style of play. We'll get into that a little bit later. But when, when it comes to Zach, the whole circumstance of being five at two, and this is your statement game against the Patriots, a division rival. And, you know, if you win this, you're playing the Bills for the number one seed in the AFC. And then they get off to this great start. And then you just see kind of, careless interception really dumb careless interception and then just give up careless interception and like you said he, he left some plays on, on the field he had the really bad fourth and five where he didn't run for it and I get that there's this sense of urgency and then there's this sense of of frustration with why can't we get this position right why can't the judges have good quarterback play and so the way I feel about Zach is I just want to see what happens let's see if he's able to build on some of the good that he did against New England on Sunday they were definitely um, things where I saw legitimate growth from Zach and then some very concerning things that you, you hope get ironed out. And while I don't think he's going to be able to eradicate all the negatives in his game over the next few weeks, I think that, you know, with more reps and with more experience, the hope is that you see more of the good and less of the bad. And I just think it's too early to make one declaration one way or the other. Not that you've done that, um, but I just want to see what this team looks like after the bye, he gets another chance against the Patriots. That game to me will be, will be a very big um, test for him. Do you think, uh, did you think that's a bit of a cop-out, you know, in terms of our Zach evaluation, how harsh should we be with Zach at this point in his career? No, I agree with you that we definitely need a few more games. I don't think right now is the point to, uh, to bury him. But at the same time, I do think we are getting, you know, like you said, somewhat close to that point where it could be a possibility in a few games if he doesn't show improvement over this point where he's at. You know, a few more games of this caliber and Denver caliber, then, yeah, like as your playoff hopes start to slip away, you might have to maybe think about making a change at that point. But right now, I don't think we're there yet. Um, so, So let's see how it plays out. I'm definitely in the camp of just, letting him play out the season. You know, he has um, the rest of the season to to show us what he can do to see if he can establish some legitimate improvement over his rookie season, over the way he started this season. Um, because, you know, I just don't believe in, in Flacco or White at all. And I still believe Wilson does have plenty of untapped potential. So it, I think it does make sense to stick with him. But at the same time, I do think it's important to acknowledge the fact that he really has – a long way to go to prove that he's legitimately improved because at this point, it's just like, let's be honest. This is a lot less than what we expected this year. And we didn't think he was going to be a superstar or anything close to that. I think we all expected at least to get that midpoint between where he was last year and the ceiling that you hope for him to get to. And right now he's not at that point with the production you've had and then just backing it up with the, you know, the process and the film and all that, the eye test, neither of those things are really close to where we want them to be. So yes, we're definitely giving him more time, but simultaneously, I think that you have to watch it and be able to evaluate it and think that you've got to see more. So we'll see what happens, but I do think he has at least a few more games. Um, And I, I do want to go back to something you said earlier in terms of the injuries and stuff. I think that's a great point to bring up you know, some of the things he's dealing with, you know, Brees Hall being out, AVT, Corey Davis, um, 
at the same time, though, what, what's concerning for me is I don't feel like those things affected it all that much, this Patriots game specifically, in the sense that, you know, those interceptions, you know, was Brees Hall not being on the field a reason he threw that or AVT? I don't think so. So that's just what's kind of concerning to me. So, so we'll see what happens. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit before the pod, but it, it didn't make it, uh, it, you know, we, we haven't talked about it on the pod yet, but we were kind of going back and forth on this style of play versus the style of play that he had against Denver and Green Bay. And while the style of play that he had against Denver and Green Bay, which was essentially, and look, we just said it, the Jets are going to have to change their identity without Brees Hall, but, you know, essentially running the football a lot, a lot of throwaways, not a lot of downfield shots, trusting your defense and, you know, that, that's how they were winning. They were winning with mediocre to bad Zach games between the, the Green Bay and Denver games, but he was taking care of the football. And he was, you know, I think Charles Davis phrased this on the broadcast as like more of a passenger in the in the car instead of a driver. And and they were winning football games. And let's just be honest, if you got another one of those games from Zach in this one, the Jets probably win because his interceptions and his bad play was, was obviously got them points in the first half, but it put the Jets defense in bad situation after bad situation i mean they were in you know not just not just because of zach also because of special teams but the jets lost this game uh on field position you know right off the bat i mean it was like the first barriers return was like 15 yards then it's like yeah brain man opening kickoff of the second half is tripping and that's and it's just like bad punts and and zach wilson interception setting up the pats deep into jets territory and, and and whatnot but the way that he's playing right now, though, or the way that he played against the Patriots on Sunday, if this team wasn't in the position that it was in right now to to potentially go on a playoff run, you might look at the way he played and and especially if he was a rookie again, honestly, and and be like, all right, well, he's you know he's taking chances, he's he's you know he's playing confidently, he's firing in there, you know, maybe he'll learn from this, um, maybe this style of play is is will you know speed up his development a little bit more. Uh, and we were kind of talking about it a little bit, you know, in the sense that like, look, they didn't draft this guy to be Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, part of his DNA as a quarterback. If you watch what he was like at BYU in terms of what does Zach Wilson look like when he's good is yeah. A lot of the improvisational stuff that you're seeing that fans are getting mad at because we haven't seen the production from it or downfield shots or, you know, really trusting his arm and tight windows and, and all sorts of stuff. Do you feel like this, this style of gameplay is, is better, better or worse for his development? Yeah, I think that's a good point you bring up. And it's something I wrote about in an article um, earlier this week, because you look at his numbers and the way he's played this season, he has been pretty efficient when he gets the ball out in under two and a half seconds and stays within the pocket. You know, he's been completing his passes over 70% of the time. Yards per attempt is about seven. And he's about top 10 to 15 in most categories. So it's enticing to, you know, maybe shift your game plan in that direction, you know, make him more of a game managing quick passing quarterback. But at the same time, it's like, does that kind of limit his development in some of the areas of the game where, you know, you drafted him to be special, you know, with the long developing plays, the deep passing, the uh, design rollouts on the move, encouraging him to be that off schedule playmaker. Would it sort of limit him if you don't let him make those mistakes and work through those bumps? So it's sort of that um, dilemma that I think LaFleur is working through. It's like, we built this offense to emphasize these projected strengths that we drafted him for, but he's struggling in those areas. Whereas he's kind of doing better when he gets to manage the game a little bit 
and just get the ball out quickly. So I think it's a good point you bring up to where, you know, as bad as this game was, and listen, I made it clear that I think he was really bad. The mentality is kind of what we were hoping for. He did let it rip and play more aggressively. Um, and you hope that as he continues to do that, he could iron out the mistakes and, you know, get those mental reps to where he could right. put it all together and play more effectively. Yeah, I just feel like if he's playing timid and he's he's almost scared to throw or to, to, to try any tight windows that he's never going to really get any better. Like you're never going to see it. You, maybe you'll win more games just because the quarterback isn't costing you by turning the ball over. But is the quarterback really learning? Is the quarterback really getting better, getting more confident in his abilities? Um, or are you just kind of stunting his growth that way? I mean, look, you want to win games. And I think on Sunday, you're going to see a, more of a conservative approach from the Jets, at least initially, if they get down big, you know, he's going to have to air it out. Um, but yeah, his aggressive style of play in this one is the mentality you want to see from Zach. It's just when you throw that interception, you can't then turn it into, you know, you, you can't just start throwing the types of interceptions and the types of passes that he was throwing in the second half. Uh, more so, honestly, just the two interceptions where it's like, give up dumb throwaway interception. And then the third one, which was just kind of a give up third down, down big. Let me just loft it up there. You can't have those types of plays, you know, and, and I get, I'm going to say something that a lot of people are going to roll their eyes at. And I understand it because anytime the name Josh Allen comes up with any young quarterback, people should roll their eyes because he's such a statistical outlier in terms of, of what he was in college, how he was as a rookie, even how he played at the beginning of his second season and to what he is now. And he's such a physical freak. And he honestly, it's not a, it's not a privilege to say that he could go down as, as one of the best quarterbacks of all time. If he continues on this trajectory, he's unbelievable. So any struggling young quarterback, you can't throw it out. You can't throw out Josh Allen. It's just like, I remember when Sanchez was a rookie and I would hear the, and you honestly, you to, I think you heard it with Donald and we may have even heard it with Zach Wilson where it was like, well, Peyton Manning threw 30 interceptions as a rookie. It's like, all right, well, but yeah, but not every, you know, bad rookie quarterback is Peyton Manning. So I get it, but you can't deny some of the similarities between Josh Allen's situation and Zach Wilson's situation in terms of both coming from small schools, both athletic freaks with monster arms, both struggling and had similar rookie numbers. Um, and both now in their second years on good teams, great defense, winning ball games, honestly, at times in spite of their performance. And you're just hoping that it can click for them. And you see some big flashes and then you see some really dumb, inexcusable turnovers and plays. I mean, remember Josh Allen in that playoff game his second year? Like, I forget exactly. Did he flip it to the fullback or something? I forget exactly what happened. But Josh Allen had plenty of dumb plays, even to the point where after his second season, Michael, you didn't think he was very good. You didn't really like him. And a lot of people, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus there. A lot of people didn't like Josh no, Allen I definitely was after, not a fan. His, after his second year. And, and when you look at the numbers and you looked at a lot of the bad film, it's very fair to, to, to look at Josh Allen's tape through his first two years and question who he, you know, would end up becoming. Um, so he's such an outlier that you don't want to put lump him in, Zach in with him, but you can see the similarities and you can at least see the reasons why Jets fans should be patient. Doesn't mean that he'll, he'll end up being Josh Allen, but when you see that type of trajectory and you see that type of, of growth that the, this, that young quarterback had between year one and year two and year two and year three, let's just take a breath and just see what he can become. I will say the one, the biggest difference between Josh and Zach, I mean, there's two big ones, uh, the, the most substantial difference and the one that they won't be able to change is the size difference. Josh is just so big and strong. And he, because of that, he's more durable. 
he feels like he can run more. He can take shots from linebackers and truck them over or keep moving or whatever. Um, so that's the big one. But the number two and kind of piggybacking off what the first point is, is Josh Allen uses his legs a lot more. And so for me, when I look at Zach, it's like, all right, if Zach isn't comfortable from the pocket, it'll definitely limit how good of a quarterback he can be. But, you know, it's possible that he won't be comfortable in the pocket in a second year and then get comfortable in the pocket, whatever. But if he's not comfortable from the pocket and he needs to bail like he's bailing right now uh, to keep plays alive, and that's just what he feels he needs to do, fine. But he's got to start running the football then. He's got to start taking it beyond the line of scrimmage because you can't bail in the pocket immediately, uh, invite more pressure, cut the field in half, force your receivers to break off the routes, not really give them much time to even you know get to a spot where that you can even throw it to. Um, and all the while, you're just kind of dancing behind the line of scrimmage instead of just running for it. If he bailed in the pocket immediately and just ran, a lot of times he would be getting five yards. And then right. we've seen his ability to make defenders miss. You see it behind the line of scrimmage every game. You know, even, even on bad plays, you'll see – there are more examples in this game of, of defenders falling flat on their face because Zach Wilson's elusive. He's slippery. So it's like, all right, Zach, if you want to play this, this style of football, I don't recommend it, but if it happens, take off and run. He's got to be more willing to run that fourth and five was certainly the, the uh, worst example of him, not just stepping up and running. Although Michael, you, you had a great eye. We were watching the coaches film and, and on that fourth and five play where he, I think he throws it to Conklin. And honestly, it wasn't a horrible read or pass. I mean, it had a chance, um, but tons of open field where he could have ran very similar to like that third and two play that Darnold had against the Raiders where he like should have ran. And then he threw it up and, and he ended up completing it, but it was like, all right, but that was a terrible process. Like it was third and two or fourth and two. It's like, just run, get the yards. Same thing with Zach should have just ran, but he does get stepped on um, from Lincoln Tomlinson. If you go back and watch and Dwayne it. Brown, I think it was, or sorry, it's Dwayne Brown. Dwayne yeah. Brown comes down. Either right way, this foot. is a 300 pound man stepping on you. Yeah. So, so I understand it a little bit, but I think, I still think he should have taken it for sure. Oh, well, absolutely. But yeah. the, the broader point, and do you agree with this? Do you think that he needs to, to be taking off and running more and, and showing that yeah. Uh, elusiveness? Yeah, no, I agree because one of the, another one of the big stats with Zach Wilson right now is his time to throw and how, how high that is. Right now, he's at 3.19 is his average time to throw this year. So that's from snap to when he releases the ball, which is really high. You know, middle of the pack right now for qualified quarterbacks is about 2.7. So he's second highest in the league. And you look at the quarterbacks who are around him, all of them are rushing threats. So he's one of only five quarterbacks who are over the three-second mark with their average time to throw this year. The other guys, number one, Justin Fields, three, Daniel Jones, four, Lamar Jackson, five Marcus Mariota. So those guys are holding the ball a long time and they can, they're doing it because they're a running threat. And a lot of those times, you know, they're taking off at the ball and doing damage in that way. Whereas Zach Wilson obviously has done very little of that this year. Um, So I think it is something he could make a more regular fixture of his game. I mean, we saw against Jacksonville last year, um, what he could do when he decides to take off. Um, I don't think he has, great top speed but it's just the ability to make defenders miss, uh, make defenders miss i think he is you know good deception working the sidelines you know with his change of direction his change of direction quickness is i think the right. special athletic trait uh, and he just has a really good spatial awareness i think because you know for as bad as you know the pocket presence is like purely looking at the ability to make people miss that part of it is impressive you know his ability to feel like okay i have him coming towards me so i'm going to work back towards him and kind of spin around that so again not i'm not contoning the you know the play in the pocket i think we've made that clear but (laughs) purely purely physically 
it is impressive what he could do. It, you know, if it were a circus act or something, it would be great, but not playing in the pocket. But, uh, but I think some of those things can translate into running. So I, it's something I would like to see him do more, and it would buy some more respect from defenders in the secondary. You know, they'll uh, when he scrambles, they'll be more likely to come up on him, and then that could buy more space for him to make those throws when the defenders come down from coverage to try to defend him instead of staying back and covering the route. So, uh, so you look at his time to throw compared to other quarterbacks in the league, and most of the guys who are in his realm are legitimate rushing threats who actually will make plays on the run. So they have some more justification for being that high, whereas for him it's just holding the ball way too long. So if he's not going to turn himself into a rushing threat, you would like to obviously see that ball out much quicker because the throws on the run, the success for that hasn't been there too. I mean, some of the numbers on his scrambling plays and stuff like that are pretty crazy how bad they are. I mean, he finally did make early in this game, a couple of outside the pocket scrambling plays with the Garrett Wilson bomb and the Conklin bomb. But I think those are, uh, I forget the exact numbers, but some of his completion numbers on these, you know, outside the pocket plays or on the run scrambling, things like that are like four for 40 on the season, five for 50, things like that, which are just astronomically bad. So the results haven't been there enough to where you want to see him trying to make these plays as much. So I don't know. I think maybe it would be good if the Jets kind of tried to tone him down, just get the simpler stuff going first. And then once he can get some confidence from that, maybe expand things again, once he sort of gets into a rhythm, hits the easier stuff. Um, But to go back to the the original point, yes, I do think rushing is uh, adding a rushing element to his game could help open up a lot of other things. Yeah. And if you remember that Jacksonville game, like it wasn't just the the touchdown run; he had two other runs where, you really got, I think he did right, yeah. 87 yards rush. I mean, I know. A lot yeah. Of I think, was. I think something like that is only three carries. He had yeah. two other big runs. Yeah. He had one on a fourth down where he had a little pump fake. Yeah. And the then pump he, fake. Yeah. And the, so he's yeah, that and deceptiveness he, to his game. It's like yes. the athleticism is definitely the change. Like I said, the change of direction, I think is good, but he also has a good feel just like angles and leverage yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And like, look, I mean, it was, a, it was a bad play and we were all screaming at him in the stadium, but when he almost took that safety, I mean, there's not a lot of quarterbacks when you look at how close I forget who which defender was it Judon or was it was it guy who who was I don't know somebody had him close in the end zone and he threw it away. Um, but you look at how close he was to getting down getting brought down there. There's not a lot of quarterbacks that could have survived that, uh, and just his ability to to make guys miss um, uh, is is certainly a. a I don't want to call it an elite trait <laughs> because it's a ceiling raising trait. Yes, I, exactly. like, That's I think to expand on what Perfect. you just said, it's like, like no one is condoning the fact that he almost had that safety. I, I despise that play. <laughs> I think most quarterbacks in the league wouldn't have gotten close to that point, but still like when you watch plays like that and all the other scrambling plays, you're like, there could be something there. If this guy just figures out how to use what he's using in this situation for negative, but if he figures out how to use it in a more, productive way there could be something there so i'm I'm definitely giving him more time willing to see what he could if he can master some of these traits to actually get real productivity out of it on a consistent basis i think the perfect play to describe what zach is as a quarterback right now is and and we we honestly this is when it got a little heated i think was it was it second down it was the so he had robinson on the outside that's what it was he ran like a five yard stop on like second and eleven. So, you know, a nice play you would love to have on second and 11 um, versus, you know, throwing it out of bounds. 
Um, he doesn't take that, then he's backpedaling, and like you said, makes all those guys miss and tries that deep shot to Conklin, which and we kind of disagree on this one too. I don't really like those throws being attempted. For me, I just want to see when the quarterback starts winding up. I want to see a, a a window that has a good chance of being completed. And this one to me wasn't enough to where I want to see it attempted, but like you said, it did have somewhat of a chance. And if he could have gotten a little bit more on it, maybe gets completed. But th- that's kind of like like you said, I think it kind of sums up where he's at right now. Just not taking the easy throws, trying to do a little bit too much, then ultimately trying all these, you know, wild circus throws that have a lot of upside. And maybe he completes it once every few games, but not consistently enough right now to where you get results out of it. But on, on that same play, there was, you know, the pocket was pretty good. He started his read to the left side. I think Gary Wilson was on a slant, like you said, and he fell down, I think, or he got bumped. Um, but then Robinson was there. He passed on that, but it was still a pretty good pocket. I think there, again, this is the point we said earlier, there's edge pressure from Dwayne Brown, but rest of the protection was pretty good. So he could have stepped up from that, stayed in there, gone to that right side of the field. And the Jets had a really good concept dialed up over there. They had, you know, the Patriots were playing cover three. So there was corner bailing. There was one safety in the middle and then everyone else underneath. They had three guys going deep over there, Conklin on a post, Uzama up the seam. Barrios was on a go on the outside. The corner took Barrios, the safety took Conklin, and there was Uzama up the seam, a good touchdown shot. But Wilson never got his eyes over there. And granted, we don't know, you know the reads and everything, but it, it did seem like he had time to get back over there after starting on the left side. But uh, like you said, I think plays like these kind of sum up where he's at right now. Like you said, I mean, the, the production on these types of plays is jarringly bad. But the when you watch it, you see how it could end up working for him. And it's, I think it's just the, the combination of his athleticism, his ability to make guys miss behind the line of scrimmage and that natural arm, arm strength that, you know, he has um, and his ability to, you know, throw from any platform or any angle, all that stuff. Like, you know, he has these, the abilities to be a great quarterback when the play breaks down, but we haven't seen it. And until you see it, you can't rely on it. Um, but one of these days he'll hit one of those big plays and everybody's going to be, you know, talking about how amazing of a throw it was and it'll be on sports center top 10, but it's like, we've seen so many of them not work out. You, you hope you get to the point where he's consistently making those wild throws, but until he does, it's just like hit James Robinson, get the eight yards, you know, stop trying to, to, to play hero ball, uh, on, especially on second and 10. That's the other thing about, and we'll move on from Zach, uh, in a second here. It's just, but my last point is Zach, and I, you, you might have something else, and then, then we'll move on to, to whatever else. But the situational awareness, it's not just it's not just the fourth and five and not running for it, but it's like that. Second and 11, you're just trying to – you don't have to get a touchdown. You don't have to get a first down. You just want to make yourself in a third and five or less. You know, you have to, you want to keep yourselves in those manageable situations. And I think LaFleur did actually a pretty good job of using the run to keep the Jets in uh, manageable third and, and six, third and five, third and four situations. But on those second and tens, you got a few yards, take the check down. It's okay. On first and 10, take the check down, run for the ball. On third down, you don't need to try the 25 yard out route if there's a, a five yard route open and the guy would get the first down. It's just little decisions like that where it's the situation doesn't match what he's doing. And that's just infuriating. And I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if that's just, um, you know, his own 
mental. I don't know what's going on, but far too many times when I watch Zach Wilson play quarterback, it just feels like there's a complete lack of, of awareness of, of what the situation is. Now, look, that doesn't mean he hasn't had some, some, some good stuff. You know, I think like um, against Pittsburgh when he had uh, the, the pass to Corey Davis in the fourth quarter and it might've hit the ground and he got him all the way up to the line and they, they snapped the ball. Like this kid is a, a kid. We're the same age, very clearly a smart guy. We're getting used to that. I know we're still getting, yeah. One of these days, the all, the whole team will be younger than me and it'll be weird. I know it's weird that this draft class is like, there's guys who are younger. It's just a, it's a weird transition as a fan. It's just like, he he's a smart guy, high football IQ. You know, he loves the game and he and he's shown flashes of brilliance, but there's just too many warts in his game that keep popping up. And I think this game, you saw more flashes of brilliance, but you saw more warts and it's just, this next week against the Bills and the, the bye week, and then his next matchup against the Patriots will be huge. And then that game against the, the Bears and another young rookie quarterback or second-year quarterback. These next three games, let's see what happens. After the Bears game, if if he's cost the Jets three games in a row and he's really not looking like uh, like he's making much development, and he if, if you think Mike White will give you a better chance to win, okay, that's one thing. But three weeks, including a bye, let's see what happens. Let's see if we see more flashes more consistent flashes because we certainly saw a lot in this game, but less of the warts. So that's, that's just how I feel about it. I mean, facing a bill Belichick without arguably your four best players in offense. I, I think you don't want to make excuses. There's certainly a lot to be concerned about, but I do think some of it is overblown, but I know, I know, I know we disagree a little bit there, but any, any last thoughts on Zach? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think we kind of said everything we need to say. Let's there are there are 52 other players on the team. Let's let's you're progress. Right, you're right. Thomas Hennessy. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, Thomas Hennessy. I mean, great game, <laughs> good snaps, good protection on the field goals. Um uh who's next? Jamie and Sherwood. Good protection on the punt unit. All right, let's move on. Jer- Jeremy Ruckert. Hmm? Um good cheerleading on the bench. Actually, no, he was active in this game. He played some special teams I still believe I still believe in him. I mean, he hasn't really given been given much of an opportunity. Yeah, he kind of it's kind of unfair for Rucker because he's in this rookie class where you have these guys who are just instant superstars. So it kind of raises the standards. Are, are, are we him. are we at six rookie of the week belts, or is it or is it so is it five or six in a row? Gardner is two, right? Does Gardner have two? Hold on, hold on. I'll go find the the Woody. Garrett Wilson is two, and Brees Hall had two, I think. Right, two each. Two so each? it's six. So it's six, and it's five in a row. I think. Yeah, Jermaine Johnson's got to get in there. Yeah, we need Jermaine. Well, speaking of Jermaine Johnson, who we back this week, um, I know we were going to like try to keep some semblance of order in this podcast, but fuck it out the window at this point. Jermaine, I, I think he's a big guy um, for, for this week. And I know I think Ulbrich said it uh, in his press conference, but in terms of uh, having a mobile quarterback facing a guy like Josh Allen, you know, John Franklin Myers, I, I friend of the podcast. I think he's a great football player. Um, but this is the type of matchup where I don't know if you want him as much on the edge. What do you feel about JFM versus the mobile QBs on the edge? Is this the type of game where you want to keep them on the edge because it gives you that size and that strength um, against the run game? If, if you want to keep four down linemen, or do you think that Josh Allen's mobility, it's a different type of mobility than, than the one that they face against Lamar is where you want to move JFM inside so you don't have him setting the edge against a guy who, who might be able to get around him. I mean, how, how do you feel JFM versus mobile QBs? Well, another interesting part of this is Bryce Huff because, you know, the Jake, Jacob Martin trade, I think. <laughs> we forgot um, about that. Giving Bryce Huff more snaps is a big part of, or the main reason, I think, why they did that. 
Um, but now you come into this first game against the Bills where it's like you want that edge setting out there. And Jermaine Johnson, who's returning, is probably your best edge setter on the roster against a run. Or, or really in, in these quarterback discipline situations, I think he's been good this year. So uh, it will be interesting to see how they distribute these snaps now with Martin out the door, with Johnson coming back, and Huff you know, projecting to get more snaps going forward. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I don't, because I think you also want to get pressure on them too. I mean, you want to be disciplined, but at the same time, if you're going to beat them, you really got to create some havoc and force them into mistakes because the bills do turn the ball over quite a bit. They have the fifth most or six most turnovers this year. They have 12, six of those are Allen interceptions and they also have six lost fumbles. Only two of those are his actually. Um, four of those are by skill position players, but they do turn the ball over. And I think you want to get some pressure and, uh, you know, be able to exploit that. But at the same time, Allen is so dangerous with his, with his legs that, like you said, John Franklin Myers on the edge, great player, but probably the last thing you want him to do as a guy with almost defensive tackle kind of size is to have to contain the edge against Josh Allen. So uh, you would like to see a little more Jermaine out there. So maybe they kind of lean that, you know, JFM back to the interior a little bit and then have Huff can pick up some Jacob Marin snaps and then Jermaine could fill in some of those edge snaps for JFM with him playing more interior. So very interesting to keep an eye on the defensive line rotation this week. Yeah, what did, what did you think about that Jacob Martin trade? I, maybe we should have with that. That was the trade deadline was this week. It, <laughs> I mean, you already knew that, but uh, but yeah, thoughts on that? Good, good, good value. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I don't, I don't really think it's great value because you think about how Joe Douglas is able to get a sixth round for Cashman or you know a fourth round for Herndon or I think they gave a six back in that, but uh, I think Jacob Martin is worth more than a one round upgrade for sure. I mean, he's a decent situational pass rusher and they paid good money for him this offseason relatively i think they gave him six million guaranteed uh, which part of that they're still going to be on the hook for next year so i don't really think it's the greatest return but i think the reason they did it is just because and, and this is me just my prediction i don't think they've straight up said this and we'll see if it actually turns out to be true but i think the reason they do it is just or that they did it is because bryce huff is playing so well they just want to get him some snaps and allow him to maximize the efficiency that he's playing with this year, because his numbers are ridiculous. I mean, the fastest pass rush, get off time, uh, second best pressure rate, best pass rush win rate. So he's been incredible on that small sample of sap uh, of snaps. So I think they just wanted, there was a log jam and, you know, Curry came back and Jermaine Johnson was about to come back. So someone would have to be the odd man out. And I think they just, chose Martin and decided to get what they could and to give Bryce Huff a chance to expand his role. So is that how you see it? Do you, were you a fan of this trade? Do you well, kind of see a, I got, uh, a good reason for it? I got to say only the, only the OG cool your jets listeners remember us breaking down uh, Yannick and Gakwe film. Yeah. With Bryce Huff. It was awesome. Who, who at the point was just an undrafted free agent that the jets got from Memphis. I mean, so he knew he was pretty good, but it, it's crazy to look back on that because like, like at that point, like you said, he was undrafted. He's agent. a random guy. There's, yeah, there's no guarantee he'd even make the team, but I feel like I've always known him as a guy who was going to be a stud jet. But I don't know. Like, we were high on him because he had – it seemed, he was a guy, it seemed like he should have been drafted. Yeah. Yeah, we got um, to do some more interviews. We haven't done one in a while. Um, But, I, I you know, I, I got to go rewatch that that Bryce Huff interview. From what I remember, he was actually really insightful in terms of his, like – Yeah, he was. His was mindset. Awesome. 
and his mentality at rushing the passer and stuff. Yeah, you remember he's talking about like it's kind of like rock, paper, scissors. Like, yeah, you know, you're anticipating like he throws the rock, now I'm gonna throw the paper. It was really cool. Yeah, but you know what? We gotta go through those OG JFM and Bryce Huff interviews and, and clip some of it to, to what's still relevant. Uh, and then also maybe put in some work and, and lance some new interviews. <laughs> we gotta we gotta add some more friends of the pods. It's getting a little getting a little lonely in that club. Um, at, least, at least all of the friends of the pod are still with the team. That's pretty cool. Not all of them. Oh, we well, got JFM, Hennessy, Huff. Okay, just those guys, I guess. I mean, we have we have a few of the you know. We have Mike DeVito. <laughs> oh well, he was inactive at the time. Okay, all right, yeah. all right, all right. I guess count. that's true. Current Jets, we're, we're three for three still on the roster. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the bar, like you said, like it wasn't like amazing value, but yeah, I mean, I think he was, I know the guaranteed money is all that really matters, but it was a three-year, $15 million deal, right? Yeah. So I think it gives them some flexibility. I think they want to give Huff more reps. Um, have, we haven't really seen too many of, have we really seen any rushing reps for Huff? Like how he's looked on, uh, you know, he really only comes in on third down. So I don't think we've really seen many times where defenses have oh, like just run at him. Literally, he's played one snap against the run in all of his games this year, and that was how did this, how did he do? Past, no, that was this the past game where it was a third and eighteen, so another pass situation, and they just ran a draw. Uh, I don't think he was involved in it at all. So I don't like. I think he's. I never thought his run defense was great, but I don't, never thought it was bad enough to where you specifically just avoid any situation where you'd have to play the run. So we'll see going forward if they maybe kind of accept that, okay, maybe he'll face the run a few times, but we can get him some first and second down pass rush situations. Yeah. I think this defense, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm really curious to see how he looks against the run because I think this defensive line can survive with one pass rushing oriented guy on the defensive line. Like Carl Lawson is that guy who's no slouch against the run at this point in his career but he's more of a pass rusher. And then you have three, three bigger defensive linemen. I mean, hell JFM, like you said, has a kind of a defensive tackle body and he's playing defensive end and he's huge. I don't know if you could play the same style of, of defense with Bryce Huff. Uh, You know, I guess, I guess Bryce Huff would go to the right side of the defensive line where Carl's at, and then Carl might go to where JFM's at. Maybe you could do it, but, uh, but yeah, I'm very curious to see how Huff looks against the, against the run. But uh, earlier point was, Glad Jermaine Johnson's back. This is a, a, a big game to have him. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll make it another rookie of the week belt. Uh, I think, you know, what are, if you had to look at, a, okay, let's say the Jets don't win this game. What are the, what's the next tier of, of wins for them? Like, obviously, okay. Like a, a good Zach game is up there. I think uh, a Denzel Mims touchdown, <laughs> not far behind. Maybe a, a Jermaine Johnson rookie of the week belt is up there. What are some of the other, if the Jets can't win this game, what would what are some of the other things that might constitute as a, as a uh, uh, morale win? Well, I'll start with Zach Wilson, of course, and I don't think the bar is super high. I just want to see solid, manage the game performance. Ideally, no turnovers, so we can start there. Um, Denzel Mims would be really cool because you know you're trying to replace Brees Hall, get some more playmakers in there, and I think you know what you have. You have Garrett Wilson, who continues to show you that he can be a legit number one receiver kind of talent. So you have that, you have the two tight ends, you know what you have in your two running backs. But beyond that, if you could add another high upside kind of guy in Denzel Mims, who I liked how he played last week. You know, oh, the yeah. Three, the three targets he got, you know, the first play, like you said earlier, uh, good route. He really should have had, you know, a vertical catch there. But either way, 
really nice catch coming back to it. Even even if it, if it, it was out of bounds, it was still a good effort. Um, then he made that diving extended catch over the middle. Then obviously the yak play was great. And I think his routes other than that were pretty good. I saw him open a few times. Um, they're really, he was not getting locked down or anything. I think he looked a lot more comfortable in the offense and we know what he can do as a blocker. So I really think he looked like a much more capable player than he did last year. So we'll see if that is maintained and if he, he could you know use this game to um, you know, potentially show the Jets that he deserves a role. But in addition to that, I agree with you. Jermaine Johnson, rookie belt, would love to see that, you know, because you think about how good this rookie class has been and you forget there's another first round pick just sitting around <laughs> there who, who, who's been solid, but still hasn't even really come close to what he has the potential to be. So, you know, there's still a lot of untapped potential with Jermaine Johnson. Uh, so those are definitely three that I would like to see. Yeah, I mean, it's just the way you phrase that. Yeah, we literally have just another first-round pick lying around. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, and a guy. It's not like he hasn't done en- nothing when he's been right. out there. He's two sacks. Like <laughs> yeah. he's had really some really good reps. <laughs> so I don't know. You have to be. I mean, I'm so excited to see uh, how these rookies really show in the, uh, the second half after the bye. You know, obviously a huge bummer to lose Brees, but getting another one of those big Garrett games was awesome to see because we i mean we've seen some some obviously some flashes all season long but outside of that that uh browns game you haven't really seen like the wide receiver one production you were maybe hoping for after he had that type of game because you know if you remember after that cleveland game it was like give garrett wilson the ball every play you know he's our justin jefferson and it's like you could still see him getting open on film and then he had a few weeks where you know he he got locked up by jerry alexander and, and green bay and didn't seem like him and Zach had the best chemistry, but this game, he really came alive and that was awesome to see. And, and, you know, he's going to need to be a guy that has to step up, uh, you know, if they don't have Brees Hall. Um, what did you think about uh, the receivers uh, in, in this Pats game? Now that you've gone back and, and watched it, obviously uh, guys are getting open, but specifically three guys we want to talk about Elijah Moore, Denzel Mims. We talked a little bit about Garrett already, so we don't have to talk too much about him. But if you have anything else to add, but what did you think about the receivers? And I guess maybe start with the guy in Denzel Mims, who uh, we liked. We liked the way he played Sunday. has has a role moving forward, apparently. Yeah, like I said, I think uh, in addition to the three plays where he got the ball, I thought his routes were were pretty good. And that's not to say he was Devonte Adams or anything, but you know, I just think when you looked at him last year, he it really seemed like he was lost at times, you know, there, he had five penalties in very limited time. Um, there were a lot of instances where he was just getting clamped and it was, you know, hurting the productivity of the play because, you know, that's a read who's not open. So just, you know, buys more time for the pass rush. I didn't really see that in this game. I think he did run a lot of clear outs where it was just, you know, run a vertical route. He didn't, not a lot to it. And, you know, but even on those plays, like, like, again, a lot of times you watch him as just, He's on the sideline, just run a go, not a lot of complexity, but even on those plays, he just with his size and his speed, he gets a step and with a guy with his frame, a quarterback can feel confident to just try that throw. He doesn't need the greatest separation for the quarterback to look at that and feel like, you know, what, I'm going to try this and maybe he'll come down with it. Like you saw on that first target where and, and he, you know, again, he didn't actually catch it, but just the fact that he showed the capability to make the kind of catch is you know it gives you confidence versus you know Elijah Moore who's run the same routes this year a guy that size needs a lot of separation for you to feel like you can try that throw because he's not going to bail you out if you don't have a perfect throw at five foot nine but Denzel Mims 
you know, with his speed and his size and some of the things he put on tape in this game, you know, I think Zach Wilson could look at that and be like, you know what, I'm going to feel confident sometimes if I, if I see him one-on-one with no safety help. I'm just going to give him a ball to go down there and get. So I think that's what really stood out. And I think you pointed this out too when we were talking about it, just watching him, how much faster he looked. Yeah, I think, I think, he's, think he's in better shape too. And, you know, maybe just Definitely. better head, headspace mentally in addition to that, but also physically. I think he just seems like he's more conditioned and you see more of the physical traits that he was drafted for kind of being maximized. And this is, hopefully this doesn't sound hyperbolic for a two catch game. I'm, I'm not trying three. to say he was a uh, three catch Wait, Two or three, three, three. three. Let's count the out of bounds one. Yeah. Let's count. I was counting that three targets, three targets. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like he's amazing or anything, but it's, he, he looks like a guy who can help your offense. I think that's what we're trying to say. Cause last year he was a liability dropping passes, penalties, getting locked down this 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 game i saw a guy who who can make an impact with the skills that he has and that's his size and his speed it's the first time we've seen it since his rookie year right because you go back to his rookie year and we were very excited about what denzel mims could potentially be and this offense wasn't necessarily a perfect fit for him but look with the way that denzel mims played last year i don't know if any offense really would have been and i don't know if we gave too much credence to the fact that he literally had food poisoning and lost 20, what was it? 20 pounds, 25 pounds in May, you know, two, three months before the season, um, you know, put him behind an OTAs it put him behind the training camp, you know, it just, it just put him behind. And this year, you know, he showed up in shape. He, you know, and he didn't get the opportunities had handed to him, but he made some plays in, in training camp and in preseason. Uh, and he kept his mouth shut even after requesting a trade. He didn't say anything when he's inactive the first few weeks of the season. Uh, he's been a soldier about it, and then he's now he's gotten an opportunity, and I thought he made the most of it uh, against the Patriots. It wasn't like the flashiest, biggest game, and obviously a lot of those yards came from, from that play in the fourth quarter. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the thing that really stood out to me was uh, physically he just looks a lot better. He looks a lot bigger and a lot stronger and faster. I mean, just even like – the muscle definition in his arms and how fast he's able to, to get down the field. He's not hot dogging routes. His body language doesn't look as bad as it did last year. He looks like a different player. He looks like the type of guy that you thought you were getting uh, when you drafted him last year. He didn't look like an NFL receiver. He looked like uh, you know, he, he was tall and lanky, but he didn't play with any size. He didn't really play with much strength. Hey, who knows? Maybe losing a lot of weight before the season might affect that. Um, yeah, a lot of mental mistakes and it's been a small sample size. We have to see how much of those mental mistakes is he ironed out. He still got a penalty last week against, against Denver, if I'm not mistaken, although he did have the nice run block, but with Corey Davis out, they need a big bodied receiver who can, who can do some of the responsibilities that you might give to a tight end. Once you go to 11 personnel, you need a eight receiver who can, even if you're in 12 personnel, you need a receiver who can block for this offense. You need somebody who can, who can open up the perimeter and, and Denzel Mims can be that. And not only that. You look at who Zach Wilson had success with at BYU. It was those big body receivers who can get jump ball, uh, who get jump balls. And guess what Denzel Mims is a big body receiver who can get jump balls. So I'm excited to see, uh, see what he looks like. It sounds like he's going to have a, a a bigger role in this offense going forward. And that all sets the stage for number eight, Elijah Moore. And after this, Michael, I guess we can just fully focus on the bills game. We'll weave in some of the other stop thoughts we had from this Pats game in there, but we, we talked a lot on Zach, but this Elijah Moore topic might take up a little bit more time as well, because, you know, ever since that, that trade request, man, it's been very interesting on what the jets are going to do with him. We, I, I stayed pretty firm. I didn't think he, he was going to get traded. Um, 
he didn't end up getting traded, but I understand why a lot of people thought he could get traded. And also, I don't mean saying after Sunday's game, I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe he will get traded. Who knows? Um, their usage of him was strange. I understand it, though. What did you think about the whole Elijah Moore situation? And then what do you think about this week in general? Didn't get traded. Um, doesn't seem like he's, you know, he's posted some things to social media this week that aren't as much uh, like pouting, but more so just like, I don't know, accepting the struggle or the adversity or whatever, God's plan, all that stuff. So it, I don't want to say he's accepting what's happening, but it at least seems like he has a maybe a different mentality about the, the role that he's that he's put himself in. So just your thoughts on the whole Elijah Moore situation and maybe what we'll see from him on Sunday. Well, his Patriots game is interesting. And you and I looked at this uh, this specific play before we started recording this, but there, there was one play in this game in the first quarter that I think may have set the tone for how this played out because eventually he only played, I believe it was 10 snaps. Um, but there was one play that I think might have caused that because early on he was you know playing in some passing situations. He had three plays within the first six minutes of the game. So this is within their first two drives. They had three and out in the first drive, and then the next drive was nine or ten plays. So within that, he had three plays. So he was in there occasionally, not often, but on his third play in that first quarter, it was a first down play in the red zone after the Jets just hit that bomb to Garrett Wilson. The Jets run a read option with Zach Wilson and Michael Carter, and he keeps the ball. And you look on that left side, and there's three receivers over there. It's Uzama, it's Mims, and it's Moore. Um, well, going from inside out, it is uh, Uzama, Mims, and then Moore on the outside. And Uzama and Mims go to block, but Moore, he motions as if he's preparing to catch a screen. And we were looking at it, and it just doesn't make any sense that why he would do that because – there's no re- there's no way the Jets are passing on this play because the offensive linemen immediately go down the field. So there's no pass because if the, if the linemen are going downfield, it's an eligible man downfield if you pass the ball. So you know they're not going to pass it because multiple linemen climb down the field. There's no option for that. And I don't see why you would fake a screen to the side where the quarterback would potentially run on a read option because that just brings the defender in versus, you know, if he just ran a clear out or if he went to block. So I am, I'm speculating, but I wonder if he messed that play up because after that play, he missed 10 straight offensive plays. He didn't play again until the middle of the second quarter. And that was the only play that he played until the end of the fourth quarter when they were in catch-up mode. So after that one play, which looks a little sketchy, he essentially was benched until it was uh, catch-up mode late in the game. So I wonder if that play... Um, again, totally speculating. We don't know, but I, I do wonder just because the correlation with the, you know, the way his snaps changed after that, if potentially it led to them being frustrated with him and taking his playing time away. So that's really the only notable takeaway I had from this game. Other than that, he wasn't too involved. Uh, the one play he was targeted on, it got deflected and he was open. He did win on a short route towards the middle. It probably would have been completed for a first down. So uh, it's unfortunate that one got tipped, but other than those two plays, that's pretty much all that stood out for me. Yeah. And you had the, you know, I don't know if it happened right after that, but you saw that Salah and him were talking on the sidelines during the game. Yeah. 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 I mean, anything uh, to were, note? <laughs> no, I, I thought you were saying that. I thought you saw it as well. I, I don't know if we discussed it or not, but, but I did see that just being there um, because we were both at the game. And I was, I just saw one play on the sidelines that Moore was standing there. Salah was talking to him. Um, 
I guess he was, I'm, I'm trying to describe it, trying to get something useful out of it. I don't know. He's like, it looked like it was a friendly conversation. It wasn't yelling or anything. He's kind of like doing some hand motions. Like it looked like he was explaining something to him in a pretty animated fashion. Uh, they were, it looked like Moore had his helmet on. They were close to the sideline. I don't know. It looked like Sal was clearly talking to him for like coaching five, him up, coaching him up for like five, 10 seconds. Right. So I, I think there's a decent chance maybe he missed that play up. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But like you said, it's a really weird situation because it's like, you know, we request a trade. Then you say, nope, we're not trading him. But then you don't use him. And I get that you want to send a message, but it's like, you know, the message was sent when you benched him. If you're going to keep him, shouldn't you use him? Because Right, Jeff, but... Jeff Smith was taking his snaps, and Jeff Smith didn't play all that well. I know he had a catch near the end to um, uh, before the Conklin touchdown, and other than that, though, we didn't really see Jeff Smith open that often. And he played, yeah, you got open snaps. on that one, you got open on that one play. Uh, on the uh, I think he throws it away to he throws it away over oh, yeah, oh, right. actually there... over Elijah Moore, but he's open yeah, there's that, that uh, that uh, dig route he ran, but not a ton of separation yeah, I, I get what you mean so i don't know it's it's weird i'm not necessarily advocating to play him more because i know it's a you know he he's made it awkward with what he's done you know some of the comments he's made and stuff so i understand where they're coming from but at the same time it's like you know it's, it's just a weird middle ground where they're at yeah. so what do, you, what do you think is i think way to do it? i think they've put such an emphasis on culture that i think with this with what they've how they're using elijah Moore right now isn't necessarily as much about punishing him as, as it is about him having to earn the trust of the locker room back. Because if he can put up, you know, look, the Jets, when he requested his trade, had won three games in a row. He was playing as a number one receiver. He wasn't getting the ball, sure, but he was playing and wasn't getting the ball, but they were winning. And that's when he went not only public on Twitter to complain, but then request a trade. And when he did that, I mean, look, I mean, everybody – including yourself and, and myself and every Jets fan was livid at him because it's like, finally we're winning football games, but you have to think about it from the guys in the locker room, their perspective and everything that they've been fighting for, for half a year at this point, for months, going back to, to May to turn this team around and this culture and have it be about us and not, you know, no iron team and all that, all that shit. And for him to do what he did, it, it broke a bit of a bond I'd imagine in that locker room. And I think there are some guys who might understand it. I'm, I'm not saying that he doesn't have friends on the team or anything, but you saw plenty of tweets that week or that weekend where it was like, yeah, no I in team and a lot, a lot of, I don't know, sub tweets at Elijah Moore in terms of, uh, you know, like how the jets see themselves uh, winning and being brothers and, and playing as one and not trying to focus on the individual, but the group. And I think that, the Jets understand that if they were to have traded him, they were not going to get the value that he's worth. So Joe Douglas was never going to do that. And two, this is an extremely talented player who, um, if he can grow up a little bit more, uh, slash, you know, and or get the ball a little bit more, you have a, a guy that is in a head case, hopefully. I mean, I, I don't think this is an Antonio Brown situation. I think this is a guy who wants the ball and he went about it in the worst way possible. But I, as I said two weeks ago, I think there's a way back from this for Elijah Moore. And this is how the Jets are going to handle it is, all right, if you weren't happy when you weren't getting the ball, but you were playing, let's ratchet that up to a 10. And we're going to play you 10 snaps a game. And if you, you know, keep your head up and you keep working, or I guess, you know, keep your nose down and you keep working and uh, you don't make this all about you, the trade deadline is passed and you put the team's best interests, you know, at, at the top of the agenda and you keep doing that week in and week out, he'll earn the trust of his teammates back. And then I think you can see him come back from this. 
Um, do, do I think that has to be something that happens for the next eight games? No. Uh, and hell, you might see him get more snaps on Sunday. He, you know, that might have just been a single game thing for the Pats game. Because uh, I do think that they'll have to use him, especially after losing Brees. No Corey Davis. No no AVT. I mean, it's like you got to give Zach help. Elijah's definitely a good receiver. I think he plays a little bit more than New England. But I understand the strategy. I understand, you know, looking at a guy like Denzel Mims, who, you know, had a really tough situation last year, getting sick. And and being buried and, you know, new new regime uh, and just kind of drawing all the negative attention, not getting any reps, being inactive on game days, requesting a trade, not getting it handed to him, balling out in the preseason game, being inactive in his in his third season again. And now his opportunities come and he's trying to make the most of it. And so I don't know, I, I, I understand culturally what the Jets are trying to do with Elijah Moore, because if he comes through this, um, I, it, it, they'll be better for it than if they just, you know tried to 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 move on immediately and just give him the ball like that's kind of how I was thinking they were going to handle it which was just all right you got an angry Elijah Moore with something to prove give him the ball and, and see what he can do but I think the Jets are kind of split in the middle ground between how you and I kind of saw this whole situation which was um they love Elijah Moore they know how talented he is so they're not going to trade him but they also understand culturally you can't have a guy pull that and, and get away with it so I think they're, they're mending the relationship between the guys. So I think you'll see more of him on Sunday, but uh, you might not see a full-time receiver number one, Elijah Moore, until after the bye is how I feel about it. Uh, let's talk about this Bills game. Um, you know, the one thing that stands out about the Bills outside of their utter dominance, you know, they lost the, to the to Dolphins, and you could, you could argue that, hey, they didn't have either of their safeties. Well, guess what? They won't have either of their safeties in this game. Um the, the Bills are, are certainly a tough test for this Jets team, but I think there are some matchups that you you can you can look at and say, well, hold on a second. I don't think this this has to be a blowout. I don't think that this necessarily has to be a loss for the Jets. Uh, spoiler alert: neither Michael and I are going to predict a win in this one. But I will. I'll go out and say that I don't think this is going to be a blowout loss for the Jets. I think they can keep this, um, you know, within within 10 points. Um, and I think they can keep it within a possession for, for most of this game. And, you know, maybe they end up losing. Um, we'll, we'll get to the score predictions uh, at the end of the pod, but I, I think this is a game that they can definitely keep close. And, you know, there is a chance, there is a part of me that could see the jets coming out after last week and, and how frustrating that was, but frustrating in the sense of it was frustrating because they were so close and it, the defense was playing lights out. They came to play. You have to remember the last time the Jets played the Pats, they lost 54-13. And while this is a very different team, there's a lot, there are plenty of guys in this defense that were on that defense too. And on that team, including the coaching staff and for them to come out and play like that. And like you said, guys were getting open and the Jets offense was looking good in the first half. And then to have it fall apart. Um, it wasn't the same old Jets blowout loss, to the Patriots, but it was just the same old, you're so close yet. You're so far. And so entering this Bills game, this is a huge opportunity. And I think this defense is playing lights out that they're, they're a sneaky. I mean, I don't even want to call them sneaky. They're the fifth best team in the AFC right now. They're a tough matchup for Buffalo. Um, and in terms of how tough can you be against a team that has the best defense and arguably the best quarterback in football, but this is not a gimme game for the Bills. Um, so with that said, Michael, uh, I guess we'll start with the Jets offense versus the Bills defense. I mean, you could take this however however you want but how do the jets keep this this game close offensively because that's really what it's going to come down to can this jets offense move the ball against this elite bills defense i think it all starts with the safety position like you mentioned earlier 
um, because that's been a, been a huge beacon of consistency for the Bills over the past five years is Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, the best safety duo in the league over the half decade since they joined together. Um, Micah Hyde's been out for most of the season. He had a season-ending injury in week two, and Jordan Poyer missed a couple of games too. And one of those was the Dolphins game uh, that, the, that the Bills lost. They're only lost this season to this point, um, and Poyer is going to be out again in this game. So they're going to be relying on their backups, and their backup safeties have not been good this year. Uh, Damar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson, a couple of former six-round picks for the Bills, combined this year they've given up a perfect 158.3 pass rating, uh, 11 catches, 12 targets, 161 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. And a lot of that was in that Dolphins game. That was a big part of why Miami won that game is they were able to get some passing success on those two guys. Um, when they targeted one of those two safeties, Miami went five of five for 92 and a touchdown. So I think that's going to be the basis. And the Bills are, it's going to be interesting to see how the Bills defense plays in this one because they are a heavy, too high safety team, a lot of cover two, a lot of quarters, um, heavy zone coverage team, which is, very different from how teams have been playing Zach Wilson. We mentioned it on our podcast last week, previewing the Patriots. A lot of single high coverage for Zach Wilson, a lot of man coverage. Teams have been daring him to challenge them. Um, Patriots, you know, played right into that because that's their bread and butter anyway. Um, but it's not the Bills' bread and butter. So this could be the first time this year that Zach Wilson sees something different than what he's typically been seeing. Um, the first few weeks in terms of the style of the defense he's playing. So um, it, it's going to give him an opportunity to maybe take what the defense gives him a little bit more, play softer, you know, just take some passes over the middle and things like that. But at the same time, you want to challenge these safeties. So if you can can get a matchup you like on a vertical route down the field, got to take that matchup and give these guys a chance to make plays, whether it's Garrett Wilson, whether it's Denzel Mims, um, heck, even Jeff Smith, he's got some speed to him. You got to challenge these two safeties. So um, I'd like to see LaFleur find ways to put those guys in conflict. And I would like to see Zach Wilson look for those matchups and get after these guys because Bills do not have many holes defensively, but with two of their cornerstones out, this is the hole you want to go after. Yeah, the thing that stands out to me about the Bills, um, and I went back and, and rewatched the, their game against the Packers because I feel like uh, watching their defense versus the Packers offense is a pretty good idea of, of what this Jets game could look like, given the LaFleur connection. Uh, and the Packers are able to run the ball. Packers had a lot of success running the ball against this Bills defense. And that's not to say that was necessarily a close game. I mean, I think it was only a 10-point loss in the end of it. But the Packers had success running the Rock. And I think the Jets are going to look at how they were winning games, how they lost Sunday, what the Bills struggle with. And I think they're going to come out with the with a run-heavy approach. Uh, but like you said, how the Bills play Zach Wilson will determine what the, how this game looks. Uh, because I think the, the Bills are going to look at Zach Wilson and say, look, this is a guy who really struggles under pressure. And uh, if we can rattle him, if we can get him under pressure or get him off of his first read, uh, he's going to be in trouble. And so I, I do wonder how much, okay, you know, your safeties are out of it. Um, you know, how much do they try to just load the box and trust their corners and try to play the run and get after Zach Wilson, take away a lot of the quick stuff underneath, force him to go downfield on those one-on-one matchups for, you know, targeting his receivers, which by the way, looking at these, assuming white doesn't play for the bills, looking at these jets receivers versus the, these bills corners um, with no Poyer, with no Hyde, with Notre Davis white, 
it wouldn't surprise I I think the Jets can have an advantage in that arena. Do you agree with me on there? Or do you think uh, I'm off? Obviously, this Bills defense is great, but Garrett Wilson, if Elijah Moore plays, Barrios, Mims, I mean, do you, do you like the Jets receivers versus Bills corners uh, in that man-to-man matchup if they go zero or, or cover one? I think that, that potentially could be a matchup because the Bills, overall, their past defense has been really good, but corners, there are some question marks there. I mean, Teron Johnson, who plays in the slot for them, He's given up some numbers this year, 99 pass rating, a couple touchdowns. Um, but Dane Jackson's been pretty good for them. He's allowed very low numbers, 59 pass rating. So um, Johnson is a guy you can go after. Um, they've Kyir Elam, the rookie, who for a rookie's had a pretty solid season. But, you know, rookie corner always is some susceptibility there. So we'll see what happens. But it's definitely without Travis White, not as dominant as usual, but – at the same time, you know, the numbers are what they are with the Bills. You know, number one defense in the league in terms of scoring. Um, they have the most interceptions in the league, six fewest yards per pass attempt. So it's still a formidable pass defense, but there is potential there. And we, we were talking about Garrett Wilson earlier, how we thought he was the wide receiver one after the Browns game, then it kind of tailed off. But I really think that talent's been there throughout the whole season, save for the Packers game where Jair Alexander really got him. And that's one of the best corners in the league. Other than that, the separation's been there. When he's made his catches, you've seen the yak and what he can do with the ball in his hands. He I, Obviously, there's still development to come, but I really do think he's already at a level where he is a maybe borderline number one receiver if if, if we're being you know a little more uh, non-biased. No, but, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, man. I mean, he, he, has, he, he can really separate. That, that's the thing I'm trying to say. It's like, he doesn't have the um, numbers maybe to back up being receiver yeah. one, but he certainly has the ability. Yeah, well... well See what, if, if the numbers can get there, but you know, the pedigree, what he did at Ohio State, and then just watching his film. And there are some, you know, advanced analytics and stuff out there and his separation, but uh, just watching, like, he wins, he wins routes, and he really can, you know, it, as good as he was in this Patriots game, you know, six for whatever he had, 100, 100 something. Um, there were multiple, still multiple plays he could have had. Like the second Zach Wilson interception, you know, Wilson improvised up the sideline. There's a deep shot right there that could have been taken for another 30 to 40 plus. Um, there's a slant he was open early, early in the game. There's a crossing route later in the game uh, where Zach was pressured a little bit and wasn't able to get it to him. So he really wins. Like he creates opportunities. So I think he's capable of putting up such big numbers and, uh, we'll see how long it takes to get there. And, you know, it's going to take good quarterback play and good protection and all that. But, um, yeah, he's – I think he's a guy you can rely on. You know, with Brees Hall out, I think Garrett Wilson should be the engine of this offense. And we'll see against this Bills team that still doesn't have Tredavious White, now doesn't have either of its starting safeties. Um, and, actually, Tredavious White is up in the air. We'll see what happens. I don't think – as of recording this, it doesn't seem like there's a definitive answer, but it doesn't seem likely, so we'll see. Um, but – actually you know what even if he does play it you know it'd be interesting because first game back from an acl you know i wouldn't guarantee that he would be amazing in that first game back so we'll see what happens if he does play um but either way i think Garrett wilson needs to start being the focal point of this offense like he was in this last game yeah the thing with the bills that really makes their defense elite is the pass coverage they get from their linebackers between milano and edmonds i mean it it just seems like they swallow up all that space in the middle and it makes it so much harder to take that intermediate stuff over the middle within you know 10 15 yards because the two of them are just all over the field and without the safeties i'm really just curious to see how they'll play it because 
Um, you know, you, you can make the argument, okay, uh, your safeties are down, you're on your backups. You know, maybe you want to play a little bit softer because you want to give them more help. You don't want to put them in those pressure situations where if you're going to play cover three, you're going to play cover one and you're going to have man coverage. It's like you're putting a lot of pressure on a backup safety there to to help out the corners, especially if you don't necessarily trust your corners, considering you don't have Tredavious White. Um, so I I think that they're going to look at what the Packers did on the ground against this Bills team and go, look, the only way the Jets are going to beat us is if they're running the ball. So let's go ahead and, and look, this is really a game you wish you had ABT and Brees. If they had ABT and Brees, I'm not saying I would necessarily predict a win, but maybe I'd be predicting a win. I mean, you feel better about it. You feel <laughs> yeah, better I mean, about the odds. <laughs> maybe I would predict a win. I don't know. I just, but you know, this team, this Jets team still can run the ball. We didn't see it as much against the Patriots, but I still felt like they were doing a good job of, of setting themselves up in manageable distances. They got away from the run a little bit. And if, if this game gets away from them, we'll talk about the other side of the football in a minute, but if this game gets away from the jets, they're going to probably get away from the run. But I think, at the start of the game, what the Bills are going to do is they're going to try to take away the run and they're going to load the box and they're going to blitz Zach Wilson. They're going to have a lot of delayed blitzes or, or decoy blitzes and just, you know, things to confuse him, to make him bail out of that pocket. And then they'll just try to close in on him or bait him into a mistake. And I think they are going to just try to trust their corners and, and really just try to take, take away the quick game. Um, what, what's the best way that they could play Zach in terms of, uh, from, from Zach's perspective and, and the worst way, based off what you've seen from Zach. I mean, what does he do? What, what coverages does, does he thrive against and which ones do, does he struggle against? Well, it's interesting because in this Patriots game, and this kind of fits in with, you know, one of the main narratives of the game in that, you know, there were a lot of great plays in there, but also a lot of mistakes. A lot of those good throws he made were against that Patriots cover three, those, you know, seam shots that kind of expo- expose some of the holes in there um you know out of the slot with the tight ends so um against that kind of coverage he did start to find some of those holes but bills you know play a little bit differently more of a you know too high team so uh, like you said it'll be interesting to see what the bills do because they're not a heavy blitz team they've actually blitzed the least of any team in the league only 15 percent of plays this year but at the same time it's like you know you've seen what's worked against zach wilson the past few weeks do you want to lean into that or are you just going to play soft and, you know, maybe give them a better opportunity to get some momentum going, complete some passes. And that's not to say the bills, you know, soft mentality doesn't work because the results are what they are. It's just different than what has proven to work against Zach Wilson over the past few games. So, uh, so we'll see what the bills do, but I think from his perspective, it uh, maybe it would be good to get some, you know, more pressure coming at him just because he's seen so many reps of it over the past few weeks. Maybe he's finally starting because I think that's what I was getting at with, you know, him hitting some of those seam throws is that he was the mistakes were there. Obviously, you know, it was a bad game. We said that many times, but at the same time, like like you were describing, the mentality did change compared to the past few games. He was more aggressive and that did more aggressive in, in the sense that he was willing to, you know, take some shots and, you know, attempt to make big plays. And, you know, if he can keep building on that, maybe he can uh, eventually start to find answers more consistently when teams come after him with the blitz and come after him with man coverage. So um, maybe if the bills do play that way, he could build off of what he did last week and, you know, eliminate some of those mistakes and kind of build on the good plays. Um, But at the same time, I do think the way the bills play maybe could be what he needs to see at this point after playing so much single high coverage, so much man coverage, 
maybe he just needs a team to force him to dink and dunk his way down the field for once. And you're going to have to pass protect well, because that's another thing the Bills do well is they don't have to be super aggressive against you because they have such a good pass rush. Um, so that sounds familiar. Line, the offensive line is going to have to step up very similar to what the Jets do. So um, we'll see what happens. But I don't know. At, at the end of the day, it just comes down to regardless of what he sees, it just safer to, uh, decision making because, you know, like you said, I, I criticize a lot of plays outside of the, the interceptions, but just take out the interceptions and easier said than done for sure. But just take those interceptions out and the Jets win that game. And, you know, it still is a game that could be improved upon, but it's not nearly as bad as we're treating it to be right now. So just want to see safer decision-making um, take those easy throws, stay ahead of the chains, especially on second downs. I think that's a, a huge key because second down the Jets had a lot of five yard throws open last game that could have made third down easier. Uh, and then they could have had better third down success based on that second down decision-making, but he wasn't able to do that. So, uh, I think the Bills are going to try to make them. Uh, they're going to stick with what they do well. They're one of the most, I would say, stubborn teams in the league in terms of sticking with what they do. So I think we'll see more of the same Bills, and it's just going to be on Zach to be methodical, not try to do too much, um, but at the same time take those shots when they're there against that safety duo. Yeah, and and we'll move on from Zach. Last, last thing, but – Going back to we brought up that Josh Allen game that we watched against the Pats, and he credited that game as the one that that where it really clicked for him. So I do think it is this style of play will cause more mistakes, more turnovers, but I think it does help his development. I mean, you don't want to see <laughs> the interceptions that he was having, but in the process of being aggressive, trusting what you see, more so what you saw in the first half than the second half, because obviously the 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 production was there in the, the first half. And so it's easy to say like, Oh, that's what you want to see. But he was ripping the ball in there. He was playing confidently. He was playing decisively. And that's what you want to see. It's the same thing you saw fourth quarter at Pittsburgh. And, you know, once it clicks for him, I, I think, you know, once it clicks, it clicks. And sometimes it can click in a, in a game like, like this one he had against the Pats, I guess that's the hope, but I'm not expecting a, a huge game from him on Sunday. I just want to see him, like you said, take care of the football, but I'll ask you this, Michael. And I guess this is kind of a, ha- a mini segue into uh to talking about the Jets defense versus the Bills offense. Um, but can the Jets really win this game if if unless Zach is is putting the, the offense on his shoulders a little bit? I mean, do you think that the Jets can hang with the Bills unless their quarterback is is playing at a high level? I mean, I don't think they can they can win with the way he played against Green Bay or Denver. So which style of Zach Wilson is more conducive towards winning this game, do you think? Yeah, that, that's a great question to ask because, you know, the Bills are as explosive as they get. So, you know, you have to wonder, can you win with him being conservative? Um, I think it depends on how the, you know, the game flow ends up playing out because if the Jets defense can really dominate and keep this close throughout, force some turnovers, maybe get a lead early, maybe you can lean on that type of play from Zach Wilson and run the ball and do all those things. And, and you know, the Bills, as good as they are, it's not like they're not susceptible to a bad game. I mean, last year they had, I'm just looking at their schedule from last year and granted last year is last year, but it's a very similar bills team. Um, You know, they had games with 16, six, 15, 10. So it is possible to hold them down. And, you know, the dolphins in their week three game beating the bills this year, were able to hold them to 19. Um, And then the bills, even last couple of weeks, 27, 24. So uh, they 23 to win over the Ravens. So it is possible to hold them down to a point where you don't have to, 
absolutely go nuts to to beat them. But at the same time, you know, it's been a while now since we've seen, you know, Zach Wilson do enough to re- you can even hit some of those numbers I just mentioned, 24, 27. So um, the game flow, I think, is a big thing because, like I said, Jets get up early. I think they can rely on that run game um, and maybe play this string this game out a little bit more. Um, but if they get down, you know, that then the game's on your quarterback shoulders. So, uh, so we'll see how that game flow plays out. Yeah. And, and regardless, I think that no safeties might be another big week for the tight ends. Maybe, maybe another big Tyler Conklin game. I'm regretting cutting him in the Jets X Factor Fantasy League. Um, that might have been a, a, a brutal error on my part. We'll see. Um, all right. Talking about, I mean, mini segue. You mentioned how explosive this Bills offense is. Um, the way the Jets defense has been playing, though, it certainly sets up one of the best offenses in the NFL versus one of the best defenses in the NFL. And anytime you have that matchup, it's always fun to watch. Um, and and you're just hoping to see the Jets defense keep up the level of play that they've had against this type of offense. So uh, let's just start here. How do you think the Jets play play Josh Allen in this game? We talked about it a little bit with uh, with Jermaine Johnson and JFM on the edge. But I mean, how do you slow this guy down? Yeah, for me, I think the mentality I I would like to see the Jets play with in this game is aggressive. I would like to see them put their chips in the middle of the table and play with the idea of we got to get big plays to even the odds in this game. Um, Because to me, the way I look at it is, you know, you could sit back and play safe and say, you know, let them have those short plays and we're just going to take away the big plays. But you could try to do that. I think the Bills are going to move the ball on you and score no matter what you do. So I think you might as well take risks and try to get those takeaways. Because like I said earlier, the bills will turn the ball over. They do have 12 turnovers this season, which is the sixth most in the league. Um, and you have to get turnovers to beat them over the last three seasons. They are nine and zero when they don't turn the ball over. And they're the only undefeated team in the league when they don't have a turnover. So it is a requirement to get turnovers if you're going to beat them. Um, so I, I would like to see the Jets play aggressively. And also, you look at Josh Allen's splits uh, versus the Blitz and not against the Blitz. Um, blitzing is the way to get to him. He does have the same amount of – he's three interceptions when blitzed and when not blitzed, but that's on 70 fewer pass attempts when he's uh, when he's not blitzed. So, um, so he is more prone to interceptions. And also his turnover-worthy throws, those are higher as well when he's blitzed. So he's – if you want to get turnovers, I think blitzing is the way to do it. And then I, I just think it's a mentality thing across the defense. You know, when you're going for tackles, go to punch that ball out because the Bills this season, they've lost four fumbles from non-Josh Allen players. And this is from four different guys on the team, four different skill players. So it's been a team-wide problem. They have been fumbling the ball a lot. So go for those punch outs. Um, when you're on the outside, play the passing lanes, go for an interception um, because to me, I think that's the mentality I want to see, both from play calling. I think blitzing is the way to go against Allen. He's more turnover prone against it. Uh, his yards per attempt is also about three yards lower against the blitz uh, versus when he's not blitzed. So uh, both coaching, I would like to see them aggressive in terms of the blitzes and then just the team across the board. Take some risks to try to get those turnovers. Um, yes, you know, they're going to they're gonna get you a couple times if you play that way but I think it's worth it to try and get those two or three big plays that can really change the game and put your offense in favorable positions against a really good defense. Um, and that's how Miami won uh, in week 
uh, in the week three win. Um, they didn't actually get a lot of turnovers on the stat sheet. It's only um, the one turnover that Buffalo had, but they did, that was a huge turnover uh, fumble uh, early in the game that set them up for a five-yard touchdown drive. Um, then they also had a turnover on downs. The Bills had a missed field goal. Uh, there was an end-of-half drive that resulted in no points. So they got the big plays. That's what you need to pull off upsets against teams like this um, because, you know, down to down over the course of the game, they're probably going to outplay you when you're, you know, when the talent gap is that big. But if you could be the, be on the right end of the three or four biggest plays of the game, that could make up for all of that and shift the advantage in your favor. So I'd like to see the Jets defense build around the idea that they're going to make the biggest plays of this game. Even if you give up, you know, a few touchdown drives, a few big, passing plays for them, run plays, whatever it is. If we can get those takeaways that could shift the field in this game, it's all worth it. I mean, yeah, there's, there's two different trains of thoughts on this one. It's, it's the one that you just laid out. And then there's the other one, which, you know, if you go off of a Quinn and Williams's explosion on the sideline against Cincinnati, uh, you know, if you go back to that game and that point in the season, the jets sent a big blitz against Cincinnati. Uh, They almost get home. They don't. The Bengals get a touchdown, and then Quinn and Williams is screaming at, at the defensive line coach, uh, Coach White Cotton. And, you know, why don't, uh, you know, just let us let us get home with four. You know, trust the talent you have in this defense, defensive line room and play the style of football that, that we came here to play. And, you know, since the, that conversation, this Jets defense has really turned it around. And that's not to say that they haven't been aggressive at times. I mean, you go and watch that Green Bay game and they trusted their corners in that game and they stacked the box and really tried to, to force Aaron Rodgers to – to beat this Jets defense uh, using the the receivers that he has um, and it produced great results. Um, But you know that this Jets defense is founded on the principle that they can win and get after the quarterback with the four guys that they have, and they can sit and play in coverage. And I think, I think that's more of, of what you'll see on Sunday, but I think that they're, like you said, they have to play with an aggressive attitude. That doesn't mean um, that they shouldn't man up sauce Gardner and and dj reed at times that doesn't mean that they shouldn't go and play play in the box and um that doesn't mean that they you know have to play soft coverage and, and just accept josh allen dinking and dunking and running all over them but like you said this is an explosive offense and i think for the jets they just they want to avoid giving up the big explosives that's how i view it and i just think that yes you want to create your turnovers and i still think you can do that but if you force if you give up one of those big 60, 70 yard touchdown bombs, uh, it's very deflating for a defense. Uh, and I, I just, I don't know. I think this defense is kind of predicated on, on making the offense earn every single yard and rising to the occasion on third down, getting that big sack or getting a turnover and, and forcing an offense to settle for three or pushing them out of field goal range or getting a turnover. It's, it's about limiting the big play. And if you go too aggressive, you open yourself up to the big explosive plays against one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL. So it's a, it's a risky proposition, what you're saying. And, and I think, I think they have to find the fine line of being aggressive, right. Um, but, but not allowing the big explosives. Cause that's how Buffalo will kill them is the big explosive. Do you agree with that? Or, uh, or do you think that they have to, to really, you know, play with that, that aggressive mentality if they want to win? No, I think there's definitely something to be said for that because, you know, it, it is a huge roll of the dice to, you know, what I'm proposing. If, you know, you could as easily as you can make those big plays, you could give them back the other way. And I think that's the risk you take. 
But um, to me, that's how I see it. And I'm not even necessarily saying there's this dog. This is not even my dog that's barking in the background, but it's extremely <laughs> annoying. So I'm going to try and talk over it. it. Actually, that's that's the Jets defense right there that you hear. Yeah. A bunch of dogs. Um, but yeah, I think one of the reasons I feel more confident that the Jets can play this type of way is that they have Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed out there. Like you remember the Bills right. game last year. That was the, the huge dilemma. It was like, oh, they keep getting Stefan Diggs in these great matchups. Like, why don't you let Bryce Hall travel or, <laughs> or whatever? But now it's like, you know, you got DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner. I trust these guys to, you know, if we're going to play aggressive and we need a man up out there, we think they could handle the job. And, and obviously, like you said, you know, this is a good four man rush. Um, it's been winning and that's what the Jets want to do. But at the same time, the bills can kill you that way. Like they're a big play offense, but, Josh Allen has turned into a very smart quarterback who will take those dink and dunk throws. Please, please, and, Zach, please, Zach, and, you know, turn into that. <laughs> please turn into that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he'll take those scrambles and he'll beat you with that, too. So, like, for me personally, I feel, fear the Bills' ability to do that just as much as I fear the big play ability. So, I don't know. It, it is tough, like you said. And and it's not – it's never a, you know, black and white thing. Like, blitz every single play or four-man rush every single play. It's just – how how do you shift versus your usual philosophies? Right. Like, are we going to blitz three to four more times in the first half of this game than we usually would, or are we going to dial back a couple? You know, maybe two two fewer blitzes than we usually would. So it's never you know as black and white as that. It's just you know this is what we usually do. How do we shift it to be a better fit to the team we're playing this week? I think so for me, I think being a little more aggressive is what I would do. But I definitely see that they could maybe also want to go the other way and play it safe and make them do what teams do against the chiefs and the bills a lot, which is just make them dink and dunk that ball. So I could absolutely see that as well for me though. I would like to see some aggression to try to right. get those turnovers. Cause I think it can be exploited because they've turned it over quite a bit. Um, and even Josh Allen has uh, he's six interceptions this year, which is tied for fifth. And in addition to that, he has 13 total turnover-worthy throws, so that suggests he has been getting pretty lucky and should potentially have a few more. So I think there are the fact that the Bills are turnover-prone is part of what makes me want to play that way. But I could see them going the other way also. I kind of I think the way you you can kind of split that down the middle because the really the thing that is really concerning to me about Josh Allen is his mobility. I just think that he can eat this defense up, running the, not just specifically this Jets defense, but just any defense. Uh, the threat that he has with his legs is legit. And for the jets, I, I think that if you, if you get too blitz happy, that guy's just going to run out the back door. And that's when you can get a big 40 yard explosive run. Um, so for me, I, I think that there's, there's a way to, cause I agree with you that the jets need to trust their corners in this matchup. They, they have to trust sauce Gardner on digs and they have to trust, or, you know, maybe he's on Davis and, and Reed on digs who, who knows they, they mix it up, but sauce on the left Reed on the right. I agree that they have to trust their corners. Um, but I think that they can also, they could bring a guy like Jordan Whitehead into the box, which means they're playing more aggressive. They're playing more downhill. They're, they're playing to stop the run, but they can have Jordan Whitehead be, you know, QB spot on Josh Allen. You can have a designated spy on Josh Allen for every play and you can bring guys into the box, but you can still only rush for and just have a lot of guys playing that intermediate and that short range, trying to take away some of the quick, quick plays, um, that Josh Allen has become accustomed to or some of the the open holes that he's had to run to and just hope, okay, let's hope our four-man rush can win. Let's hope our, our linebackers and safeties can hold the intermediate part of the field if we flood all of them in there. 
And then you're going to have to trust your, your corners deep. And that, that could, like you said, you know, it, it could leave you susceptible to some of the big plays, but like you said, you have a sauce garden, you have DJ Reed. If you want to win this game, you can trust them. I think that the, I think that's kind of the, the way you can split it up between being aggressive and conservative is definitely load the box, play to stop Josh Allen's run game and hell the bills running game themselves, try to take away that quick stuff. And then you're gonna have to trust your corners deep. And it's a, it's a risky strategy, but I, but I think it's, I think they're better off doing something like that than, than really trying to, to, to send those blitzes consistently yeah, after yeah, Allen, because sure. he's, he's going to run all over them if, if they do that. Um, how do you feel about the matchup of, of the bills offensive line versus the jets uh, front four? If they do just stick to rushing four. Yeah, this Bill's offensive line always stands out for me when I watch them because, you know, as as mobile as Allen is, really one of the most impressive things when I watch Allen is he's more than willing to just stand perfectly stationary in that pocket when he has the opportunity to do so. And the Bill's offensive line does give him a lot of chances to do that. So I like that offensive line. They usually impress me when I watch them. So a uh, good challenge here for this uh, Jets off, uh, Jets defensive line because they faced some pretty solid offensive lines recently. And granted, the Patriots had the David Andrews injury. Um, but last three teams, I think they played above average offensive lines and they're up to the task in those games. So let's see if they can keep it going. But uh, look, looking across the board, I mean, still have Mitch Morris at that center position. He's been there. I remember comparing him against uh Spencer Long I think it oh. was <laughs> like like kind of weighing those two guys like uh who got the better center uh, I think it, I think we know the answer to that clearly it was Spencer Long um but but was it was that was that the Spencer Long year or was that the McGovern year I think it I know he Mitch Morris was in that Bills game uh the season opener game oh you're right yeah you're right he, so I'm pretty yeah. sure like yeah it was those two guys I oh god he was on the Chiefs <laughs> Kind of, kind of missing that one, I guess. But uh, but yeah, so still got Mitch Morris at center. He always stands out in pass pro. Roger Saffold, longtime Titans guard at left guard. Uh, they still have Deion Dawkins at left tackle, who's top-notch left tackle. Maybe that right side is where the Jets can do a little more damage. Ryan Bates at right guard. Spencer Brown at right tackle. I think that might be. Jermaine Johnson, rookie of the week? Yeah, Jermaine Johnson at left <laughs> tackle over there or I'd left end going up against the right tackle. Um, and then Sheldon Rankins left, uh, left defensive tackle over there. So uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, I like this. This is going to be a good matchup. And we say it all the time, how this defensive line is one of the biggest keys to the game. You know, can you get pressure or can you not? But um, one of the thing, the things with this defense, a trend that we're kind of, kind of starting to see now is that, the coverage can kind of help out the defensive line. It's not as reliant on the defensive line because the coverage is good enough to where it's giving the defensive line that extra split second to get home, even if they're not absolutely dominant with their wins. Because in previous years, when the Jets' coverage was not good, it feels like there was more pressure on the defensive line because if they weren't like completely dominant with their wins, there wasn't going to be enough time for them to get there. The pass would be completed. Then you blame them, even though I mean, obviously the coverage would be blamed, but they would get attention, you know, negative attention, even though they're just not getting a lot of time because of, you know, the back end. Uh, but now with you have Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed and just not just them two, but the communication in the back end has been great. Um, it gives this pass rush a little bit more time to do its thing. So I think it helps them, uh, especially against good offensive lines. Like I think this Bill's offensive line is and then obviously when you're playing Josh Allen 
discipline is a big part of it too. So you always want to, at the same time, you're creating that pressure and that impact. You want to do it. And as you know, without sacrificing the pressure and trying to win as much as you can, you want to keep that discipline and make sure uh, you could prevent him from making those big plays outside the pocket. All right, let's do some key matchups here. Um, Jets corners, Bills receivers. We kind of touched on this a little bit, but man, what a test. What a test for Sauce Gardner. Uh, he's he's risen to the occasion every single week. Um, is this his toughest test? Do you think so, so far? I mean, it, it has it has to be, right? Because you could argue maybe the Dolphins, but they didn't have a guy like Josh Allen under center. So I think the combo yeah, of, of QB angles, receiver. You no, know, maybe. That's uh, true. He's, yeah, he's definitely Burrow. passed quite a few tests already, but um, I guess just the overall passing attack, maybe this is the best that they face so far. And they are the number one passing team. So I guess this would be the toughest so far. And just the fact Man. that, you know, Diggs and Davis, so it doesn't matter who they put over there. It's going to be a tough matchup. So, yeah, I'd say this is the toughest one. Man, um, if if, if, if he can get through this, yeah, I'm sure that's what you're going to say. But if he yeah, can get through exactly. this, then, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he's legit for real. Well, um, we we already know he's legit. It's we are, we so. already know that. But like, if you can get through this, and he has legitimate case to maybe be the best corner in the league right yeah, now. Exactly. That's not even an exaggeration. <laughs> if he not, can get it, through this one, exactly. That's that's what I was gonna say, and I almost didn't want to say it, but I was like, if the Jets, uh, they don't even have to win this game. It's just if Sauce really shuts down Diggs in this one which isn't really the expectation. I mean, Diggs is a fantastic football player, so he'll probably get sauce or DJ on a few reps and, and, you know, the bills passing offense will probably do a little bit of their thing. But if, if this jets defense can hold not just sauce, but just this defense as a, as a whole can, can really do some work against this bills offense and keep this game close and just give their offense an opportunity to win. Uh, and if the offense is able to do at least some of their part, there's no reason this Jets team can't beat anybody because if they can win this game on Sunday, they can beat anybody in the league. And depending on, and look, I, I think the, the big test for this team will be new England after the bye. That's, that's my, uh, I mean, you, you don't want to overhype every game, you know, like if you, if you put too much emphasis into one game and you lose it, I think there can be a, a bit of an emotional drain and, and maybe you'll see that this Sunday. I mean, you know, I think Saul has done a good job of, of making every game the same, but, putting the same level of like championship importance into every single week. But if you really hype up a, a single game and you really put a lot of emotional energy to into it, win or lose that next game, sometimes you don't perform the same. However, the fact that the Jets lost, I think that they'll, it's one of two ways. Either they'll come out angry with something to prove to try to clean up some of the mistakes from last week, or they'll come out a little bit deflated. Um, and get blown out and and then you go into that buy at that five and four and it's that pats game afterwards where it's like they'll have two weeks to sit on it to they just played this pats team to really right some of the wrongs and if they can win that no matter what happens in this bills game then you're set up six and four um you know last seven games of the season you know let's go do some work um but yeah man if they if they can they can beat this bills team or at least just hang with them you have to really like um their chances in january you know, I'm not saying that they'll win a Super Bowl or anything, but it's like if you can hang with the Bills, there's no reason you can't make the playoffs and win a, a game or two in the playoffs. So um it's a it's a big test. It's a big test for this team on Sunday. Uh other matchups, I mean, I guess the Jets, I, I guess I would say Quinn and Williams versus Mitch uh versus Mitch Morse. Do you agree with that one? Yeah, that's a big one. Couple couple of strengths there in the interior. 
I mean, if they can get if because that's the thing, it's like this Bills offensive line is held up for Josh Allen, but the way Quinn Williams is playing, shout out, uh, he he just won uh, what was it, Defensive Player of the Month, right, yep. for the month of October. Um, I mean, he's winning at a rate that that we haven't seen from an interior defensive line um, outside of Aaron Donald. I mean, he is he is legitimately playing like an all pro this year and all pros don't disappear that often. So you're hoping that you can see another uh, great Quinn and Williams game. And if that's the case, uh, the Jets will keep this one close. So I, I think Quinn and I'm more is a big one. Uh, thoughts on that and then maybe some of the other matchups that, that pop into your head uh, on either side of the football. Yeah, that one's pretty big. And I think it's the thing with pass rushing against mobile quarterbacks is if you can get it from multiple angles, that's when I think you're in a good spot because like, look again, look back to the, the game last week with the Patriots. Um, they were getting great edge pressure, but the interior pressure wasn't there. So there was plenty of room for the quarterback to step up. And as we know, he didn't take full advantage of that, but, um, but when you're only getting pressure from a, a certain spot, there are, there are going to be lanes there that the quarterback can take advantage of. Um, but if you can get it from multiple spots, if the Jets can get it from the edge and the interior, that's a way you can shut down that Josh Allen scramble game and cause havoc at the same time. So easier said than done. But um, if the edge rushers can show up, you know, Bryce Huff keep doing what he's doing, Lawson, uh, JFM, Jermaine, and then Quinnen do some work on the inside, then you can squeeze that pocket, keep him in there, cause pressure. That's going to be a big key. So. Um, more matchups in addition to that. I mean, obviously we know what's going to go on at wide receiver. That's going to versus the Jets corners. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but let's also look at the Jets tight ends against these Bills linebackers, like you mentioned. Uh, the coverage that those guys bring is fantastic. Uh, and I'll throw the running backs in there too. Um, those guys bring fantastic coverage. They're disciplined in their zones. They shut everything down the middle of the field. Um, and then they, they also come down and make tackles. So um, running backs and tight ends in the passing game. Let's see what type of damage they can do against these Bills linebackers because that's a big part of why their pass defense is consistently so good is Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds, their range, their athleticism, and their discipline and overall coverage skills, what those guys can do in the passing game is huge. So uh, if they shut down the Jets' tight ends and running backs like they do most teams, uh, then you know the Jets are really going to have to rely on Zach Wilson's arm um, and getting those, getting the pass, getting passes to receivers on the outside. Um, but if the running backs and tight ends can come through and overcome the expectations and make some plays against those guys, it opens up a new element that you're not supposed to have against the Bills. So um, let's see if Conklin, Uzama, Carter, even James Robinson, who, like we mentioned in the play earlier, he was outside on that one play and a few other plays. Um, so let's see what these guys can do in the passing game against a really good cover linebacker duo if they can come through and beat the expectations here the jets uh, it opens up a lot you want another big name and and i don't know necessarily where well you tell me i mean i guess maybe uh maybe teron johnson maybe in the slot but i was going to say braxton barrios i, I don't really know yeah. in, in terms of the matchup i guess him versus johnson but more so yeah, that'd be it. yeah. more yeah i mean yeah except i i mean more so braxton versus the entire bills defense because i yeah, think right, the things right. last year that not that the the Jets Bills game at the end of the year was was anything of of importance, but you saw what Braxton was doing towards the end of the season, and then the fact that he got injured and they just didn't have him for that Bills game, and you saw how much different the Jets offense looked, and and you know Zach didn't look as as comfortable as he as he was when he had Braxton out there. He's a legitimate weapon for this offense, 
And I think this is the type of game where if, if you are worried about, um, you know, your quarterback turning the ball over or, you know, him making the mistakes or depending on how the bills plan, a guy like Braxton is the perfect uh, uh, antidote for that. Not only with his chemistry, with his natural chemistry with, with Zach, um, but those, those jet motions, those end arounds, those trick plays. I think you're going to see a big trick play today, Michael. I, I know we're going to get to the random predictions uh, in a few minutes, but that'll be my one random prediction uh, at the stop uh, right now is we're going to see a big trick play. We're going to see LaFleur dive into his bag on this one. Cause this is the type of game to do it at home. Division rival, you're not supposed to win this game. This is when the Braxton Berrios trick play comes out. And I just think a guy, a player like that, a, a gadget player like that, is huge in these types of games. Uh, and it, he's also a guy that the Bills haven't really seen too much of uh, in either of the games that they played against him. Um, so I just feel like, yeah, those jet motions will get the Bills linebackers um, you know, off their marks and maybe open some, some holes up in the run game. It might help Zach um you know open up some some space in the passing game if they're playing a lot of zone or, or sorry if they're playing a lot of man um but i think barrios could be in store for a big one if this jets offense is cooking what do you think about that oh yeah i think that's um whenever you're a big underdog i think that's kind of a, a thing that teams tend to do is to you know dig into the playbook a little bit deeper try to gain advantages in unexpected ways because you know whenever you're overmatched i think you don't want to go punch for punch for them or punch for punch with them you want to try to find unique ways to gain advantages just like i talked about earlier with the turnovers and the big plays so, so i think some of those barrios trick plays could and, really help level the playing field a little bit so we'll see what happens and i didn't even mention it but yeah backup safeties just saying so yeah. if, you, if you want to get those trick plays going get them flowing in one direction pitch it back and and line up a deep bomb they got backup safeties out there who maybe aren't as as polished maybe there's a miscommunication a coverage bust who knows but i think this is the type of game where you might see the jets go not only to one trick play but you might see a few similar to that the Bengals game last year they were i mean everybody walking into that stadium thought they were going to watch the jets get blown out by the Bengals, and the jets you know when it's their bag in that game and, and had a number of trick plays and and created a number of explosives and put up 31 points so uh, I think Barrios could be in store for a big one. All right, last last matchup. And again, like Barrios, I don't really have a specific player. I guess the Jets linebackers versus Josh Allen. And what I mean by that is not only containing Josh Allen scrambling, but I think their pass coverage is going to have to be very good in this one. It's going to They're going to have to take away the middle of the field. They're going to have to take away the quick game. And I think last week, um, you know, there, there was uh, some blame to go around, but the Pats kept winning on third down. And a lot of it was like crossing routes over the middle, um, and just waiting for them to get behind the linebackers and exploit the Jets' um, zone coverage tendencies. And I think you're going to see the Bills do that a little bit too. If that four-man rush isn't getting home and you got a lot of linebackers out there playing coverage, they're going to try those crossing routes and beat you over the middle. So I don't know if that's Isaiah McKenzie. I don't know if they're drawing things up to Dawson Knox, um, but the strength of this Jets' defense is the corners. And if the Bills aren't getting their big explosive plays that they're used to with, with Davis and Diggs down the field, Look for them to target the linebackers over the middle. All right, Michael. I don't know if I heard a yawn or if that was a dog barking, um, but I think I think we're getting towards the end of this podcast. Are we completely honest? That it was a yawn. yawn. Oh, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! Oh my God! All right. Well, you know, I'm I'm nice enough. I mute myself when I, when I want to yawn during this. This is a this is a very long podcast. I have to say, I don't know exactly how long, but just to give um, some some rep, we're at, we're at hour four. We're four hours and forty one minutes into the Zoom call. 
because I think we spent like two just hours a typical watching, call, you know, just a typical Friday afternoon with <laughs> with with, t- with a ton of stuff going on. Uh, hey, we're putting in the work. Um, you know, hey, I think we got out of a, question a lot. Out of it. It's like when a team loses a game and then the social media account puts up a graphic and they're like fought hard with the losing score. That's us. We're fighting hard. How, how, how did that loss. relate? How did that relate? I don't know. Honestly, we're fighting hard <laughs> despite the loss. That's what I was getting at. You uh, know. Two, two more things, Michael. Where the Jets are better, and then our predictions, and we'll get out of here. And then you can yawn all you want. All right, where the Jets are better, quarterback? Jets. Uh, Jets. Yeah, okay. We make that joke every podcast. All right. Uh, all right. Bill's we haven't game. done that before, have we? We make some version of that joke every time we do this segment. Um, okay. All right. All right, <laughs> Bill's get... all right uh, running back. Mm. I go Jets. You think so? Yes. Yeah, I feel Never like the one thing that always gets talked about the, with the Bills is that they can't run the ball traditionally. It, oh, but, could you imagine if they'd taken Brees Hall like a lot of their fans wanted them to? Ooh, they would oh be god. nice. Oh my god. I mean, yeah, Kyrie Elam's been pretty good as a, as a rookie, but oh my god, if they had Brees Hall. Yeah, I guess let's go Jets. All right, running back Jets. Uh, receiver, Bills. Yeah. I mean, not much debate there. I mean, although, you know, you like some of the pieces, but can't deny what the Bills receivers have done. Tight end. Dawson Knox versus Tyler Conklin. Mm. Uzama. Jets. Yeah. All right. Um, offensive tackle. And we're, we're just Bills. counting this on, on who's playing on Sunday. Yeah, I'd give this to the Bills. Interior offensive line. Bills. All right. Um, interior defensive line. I'd go Jets. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Quentin Williams is a monster. Uh, Edge. Bills have Vaughn Miller. Yeah. It's hard to go against them. So, but both teams have great edge. Yeah. Um, linebackers, Bills. Bills. Finally, a team Corner. with, like, recognizable linebackers. Every week we do this and we're like, eh, that guy's pretty average. Whatever. <laughs> we're like, finally, like, yeah, those guys are good. All right. Corner. I give this one to the Jets. Yep. Uh, safety. This one's interesting because it should be the Bills, but down their two starters. Do you take Whitehead and Jordan? Jets with those I'd go Jets. Yeah, out. yeah, just based on the production. And then we've lumped special teams all into one big uh, group. I think the Jets special teams have been the best in the league, but last week they were. They, I mean, they didn't cost them the game, but certainly hurt them with missed field goals, bad punts, bad field position. Uh, Bills are pretty good special teams too. So. Yeah. Who's their punter now? Sam Martin. Hmm. And then Tyler by the way, Bass, I, by the pretty way good. credit credit to Braden Man for that onside kick. I didn't really realize how insane that that uh, that kick was. Although I know he didn't get it. And then also I saw some conspiracy theory about uh, like because the CBS broadcast apparently showed yeah the Jets play art or whatever and on what the kick was going to be. And then the the pay, I didn't I didn't watch the whole video honestly, but then I guess the Pats called timeout. And then, and then we ran the, the play that the, that they showed, like they, they cut to, I think it was Brant Boyer holding up the play sheet to show his guys, like what we're going to run and CBS camera crew caught it. So, um, but if you watch the, the kick that, that brave man, yeah, it was like pretty weird, nuts. like side kick. Yeah. He kicked it with his plant leg. He planted with his left leg, came over the top of his right leg, planted with that one and kicked it with his left. I mean, it was, it was pretty nice. Um, but I think you go special teams with the jets here. Uh, they have Crowder returning punts for them. 
All right, that's a little revenge clear game. Jet, clear, clear Jets dub. I didn't even think about Crowder. Oh no, Crowder, uh, Crowder versus Michael Carter the second. We like that matchup. It's a nice matchup. Uh, mentor versus the student, I guess, from the last last season. Do they have Crowder returning punts? Yeah, they I do. See him on. Am I? I thought. He I think he's been out, but before the yeah, he's been out. He was okay. He, I was about to say. I was like, I don't right. think yeah. he's still. Yeah, he's out. I remember oh, okay. it from earlier in the season. So uh, yeah, he's, he's that. an IR. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I mean, at least I got one on you now, Michael. Finally, I caught your mistake. Five hours on said, here, but we didn't. We weren't aware that Crowder wasn't playing. <laughs> I was about to say. I was feeling like we would have talked. The whole podcast would have been about the Jamison Crowder revenge game. Yeah, that would be the title um, right. of the podcast. All right, last segment prediction. We're on hour five of this. One random prediction. We'll get to the scores in a second. Did you Actually, finally you know what? track Just... our predictions for the last game? I remember you. Uh, no, I, I don't know. You, do you go in and delete these? I swear I wrote it down last week. I literally. I don't made... go in here and delete it. Are you sure? Unless we I... did at the start of this. We're looking at our it's Google po- Doc here. which we It's just possible I deleted. I remember making the same complaint last week. I was like, why do I never write these? Down? I know I did and then it's not here. Oh, I have you the thing. Just make it's a doc prediction. just for random predictions. That's Instead true. I'll make an Excel the, sheet. The base CYJ okay. Google Doc. I am, I am, I'm definitely writing it down this week. So if it's not here next week, I'll know what you've been up to. I All did. Right. Actually, I, remember, I, remember, I said DJ Reed pick six, I think. So you I did. Was, and and you said, and you said Garrett Wilson touchdown. One. Didn't you say Garrett Wilson did touchdown? Did I say that? Yeah, I think I did. We didn't get that, though. No. I don't remember any of my predictions, but I think I oh I said Carl Lawson sack. Yeah. Bang. On, on the board. All right. Nobody nobody can hold me accountable, but I'm pretty sure I did say that. Not so. that bold, but all right. I'm sure I had bold. Well, okay. Here's my we know one. I'm gonna write it down. The Jets are running a trick play, a big trick play. Like not just like a little shovel pass. Like I'm talking like they're gonna dial up one of those big a pass by a non quarterback. Yeah, that's probably a better way to put it. Pass by an on-quarterback. Let's just hope it doesn't go like that Amari Cooper pass against uh, well, hey, they, the Bengals. Yeah. Although, uh, I mean, we got Jeff Smith, former former QB, and Corey Davis. Right, that's what I pointed point. out, I think, last game. Or yeah, it was a few One of the last ago, two but... games, I said that he was going to throw one, but he did. Oh, so, so when we get that Jeff smith Barrios package, just be on the lookout for that. Um uh, yeah, okay, Michael, what, what are some of your random predictions? We can just start throwing them out here. I'm going to write them down. Here we go. Random predictions. Rapid fire. Let's hear them. But real ones. Don't don't just throw okay. random shit. All right. Um, let's go with, I'm going to say Denzel Mims gets on the board with his first touchdown. Mims TD? All Mims, right, okay. It's going to be a six-yard fade. They finally throw the fade route to Mims? Oh, that'd be sick. That'd be All so right, Mims nice. TD. Oh, that's that's remember he made his debut in. against the Bills in the all greens in that 2020 game. Wow, that in that super memorable game, super memorable. Like, did you see that block he had in that Pirine touchdown? I remember, I remember, Dar- didn't Darnold didn't Darnold have a point in that game where he had hit like 10 passes in a row? That I don't or remember, something. or maybe it was seven in a row. I remember he had had a point where he had started really. I just well. remember that being the big game where we're like, wow, this this rookie class is great, Jets have a bright future. Just because Mims blocked for P. Ryan on a touchdown once. Wow. That was a great season. Dark times. 
That was that might have been the best season. Gotham Green so. times. I think that we're still in the Gotham Green times. That may have been. The, I think the uh, the tank for Trump not really considering the jersey choices. But that's true. I guess you know I, we. I saw that in the beginning of the season, and I sent it to you. It was like from the guy at Uni Watch who was like, "The Jets are going to wear green at home. The Jets are going to wear green this year at home," and and his prophecy is turning out to become true. I don't know if they planned to wear white on black this much. Maybe they were just going to go white on white, but it seems like they're going to go white on black again at home. I like that. They're changing up the look. There's a new era of Jets football. Although I will say I love the the all blacks with the black helmet. I you know, I think they're they're gonna wear it two more times this year. But I will say if they do beat the Bills wearing the white on black, I don't know if they can wear another uni combo the rest of the year. They may have to just wear white on black all year. Yeah. Um, all right. So is your t- your so your predictions mim TD pass by non QB is is mine. Um, we have any other ones we want to throw out there? Uh, I want to think of some real ones. I'm gonna go with Quan Alexander. Fumble forced, recovered by Jordan Whitehead. What a random prediction. All right. There you I'll go. Juan Alexander. Juan Alexander, forced fumble. Rec- I, you know, this, this is why I don't always write it down. It's because it's like recovered by. <laughs> what did you say? Whitehead. Whitehead. Okay. All right, I'll give one more and then we'll, we'll be done. And then we'll give the scores and we're out of here. All right. My last random prediction. I want to make this a good one. I really have to think. I have passed by non QB. Or you think a trick play? I mean, there's a part of me that wants to give Sauce an interception, but I don't know if this isn't the game. Well, you know what? Sauce interception. You want to know why? It's because I think this is the game where – well, not this is the game. The Bills are going to try the Jets deep. They're going to try their big explosive plays deep down the field, and I just think – Sauce has gotten closer and closer to, to taking one of those away. And I think this is this is the game that you might see it. It may end up looking like a punt. It may be one of those just deep bombs where he catches it and he's already in the end zone or whatever, or he's down at the, you know, as soon as he catches it. But I think uh I think he gets one of those those deep ball interceptions. That's what I'm calling. Sauce interception. Anything else, Michael? Um, we also have the score, I guess. You can give you your, your official prediction for the game now. How do you see this one playing out? And if you want to pepper in any more random predictions, be my guess. I'm going to go with 20 to 10 bills. Low scoring game. Yeah. 20 to 10 bills. Um, I think that the jets keep this close for most of it. And then in the fourth quarter, the bills open it up a little bit, but not like crazily. Yeah. That's I kind think... of what I see. I think it'll be like, it'll be a one score game at halftime. Even you'll get through the third quarter, but then they'll pull away at the end. Yeah. Like, 28-17, maybe. I don't know if I see the Jets putting up 17 on this offense. Maybe maybe 28-13, Bills. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, what would be the uh let's say let's say it's if it's uh 10 to 14 at half, that makes sense, right? 10 to 14 at half, the Jets get a field goal, Bills get two second half touchdowns. That makes sense. All right. There's our official predictions. Uh, I think uh, now I stopped keeping track of, of our, of our record predictions, but up until the predicting the Patriots win and them losing, I think the only game that I gotten wrong was that was the Bengals game. So uh, what are we six? That means I'm what six and two I'm predicting them. So hopefully I follow the six and three after this week. Uh, Cause there'd be nothing sweeter than a Jets dub. Put a percentage on it. Percent chance Jets win this game. Cause when you look at the matchups, it's not inconceivable. 
It really isn't. This is this is one of the toughest teams the Bills have faced all year, regardless of quarterback. When you just look at, at their defense and their strengths. With AVT and Brees, this would have been – you could make it an even stronger case for that, that outside of the Chiefs, this may have been the toughest matchup for them. Um, but regardless, this is a Dolphins-level matchup for them. You know, a game the Bills – are, are the better team and they should win, but the jets aren't playing a different sport out here. And, you know, like you said, the bills have had been susceptible to it. So put a percentage on it. 20%. 20%. Yeah. You, want a, you want a percentage for me? Ready? Sure. 50, 50, either the jets win or the jets lose. So oh, wait, I, I don't think that's accurate. It's more like 49, 49, and then 2% chance of tie. Okay. okay. Either they win or they don't. That's what I meant. That's true. 50-50. All right. I guess we're out of here. Follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter. Michael, Michael underscore Nania. Myself, Ben W. Blessington. JetsXFactor.com, best place to go for Jets content. Uh, please uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Helps out the pot a ton. We saw I, we saw we got some more this week. That was awesome. Thank you so much to everybody. Uh, who and, and those who've reached out to our email. I mean, I never plug it, but I think it's on our Twitter somewhere. somewhere. But got a few emails this week. CYJPod at gmail.com. Um, that was that was awesome to read through so thank you for all the support uh this season uh i know we were we were off a day on our schedule i went to the uh to the rangers game on thursday night just because i wanted to see uh, another another game where boston fans got one over new york fans uh so that was painful um but went to that and then i got home really late and we're like all right we'll just do the podcast on friday so apologies for for a little delay in, in this this episode coming out but thank you to everybody who's been listening we'll be back sunday night monday morning after the game Hopefully, uh, in our Batman voices after an, an insane Jets win, but most likely after a loss. We'll see. Just keep it close. Come on, Jets. Just keep it close. All right. That'll do it for us. Thanks for listening. Go, Jets.